VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Monday, September the 11th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's produced the program. Let's get off to a flying start that requires your call. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 709-273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 86. 26. Well, September off to a pretty glorious weather start. Today, a little bit gray and dreary, but yesterday, taking a spin over to the shop, 30 degrees, said the dash in my truck yesterday. So, pretty nice stuff out there. And historic weekend on many fronts for Canadian sports. Basketball, Canadian men on the hardwood. I mean, not only did they beat France and then Spain and Slovenia, but in the bronze medal game yesterday, beat the States. I don't know if you watched any of it. My sleep schedule allows me to get up and watch something at 6 o'clock in the morning. Up by four points with four seconds to go in the fourth quarter, and lo and behold, the Americans tied up. Remarkable stuff. They regained their composure and go on to beat them handily in the bronze medal game on overtime, so record stuff. Even fourth place would have been a record, but it's the first medal ever for Canadian men basketball on the international stage, so unbelievable stuff there. And I don't know if you're tuning into the World Cup of Rugby as I am, but I guess most people in this province would probably call, you know, cheer for some of the European teams, notably in the UK. Ireland, England, Wales all got off two wins in their group play. Uh, Scotland did lose, but although they lost to South Africa, the defending champions. And more history on the hard courts once again, this time tennis. So it's been a rotten summer for Canadian tennis, especially on the singles front. But Ottawa's Gabriela Dobrovsky became the first Canadian to win a Grand Slam women's title yesterday, when her and her partner, Aaron Rutliff, won the U.S. Open in straight sets. Interestingly, Rutliff really is representing Canada as well. Born in New Zealand to Canadian parents, grew up in Canada. She lives now in Montreal. She grew up in Caledon, Ontario. So Dobrovsky, she's got a couple of other crowns. Won a mixed doubles crown at the Australian Open in 2018, French Open in 2017. So now she can add the U.S. Open to her Grand Slam collection. Terrific stuff. And I heard Brian Medora mention the fact that, yeah, the Jays hot in the last 10, 8-2. and two. The Texas Rangers come to town beginning this evening for a four-game set. This will go a long way to telling the tale for the Jays' playoff hopes. Currently, I think a game and a half ahead of Texas, or maybe a game and a half ahead of Seattle, maybe two games ahead of Texas, something like that. But it's going to be a big week this week for the Blue Jays. All right, so I believe we have time coming up this morning with the province's consumer advocate, Dennis Brown. So we were going to talk about what Liberty Consulting meant to the PUB, what it meant for oversight and monitoring of the Muskrat Falls project and all things Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro, and they were critically important. I read their quarterly reports over the years. The PUB is going to have to try to find a new consulting company to bring on board for their continued efforts on the regulatory side. But now, also something we can talk about with Mr. Brown this morning, and he's in favor of the appointment of Kevin Fagan to become the chairperson of the PUB, the Board of Commissions at the PUB. So, Mr. Fagan, and he was vetted through the Independence Appointments Commission, okay. He has a wealth of knowledge in the industry, that's for sure. He was an executive at Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro, dealing with regulatory issues and stakeholder relations. So he's got all that going for him. And it's important to have someone with knowledge of the industry to sit in that all-important seat for the next seven years. 
Others are questioning whether or not there's a conflict of interest here because rate applications are going to be coming from Hydro soon and then, of course, over the course of his seven-year tenure. So on one hand, he's got all the knowledge we absolutely need. Mr. Brown thinks it's a great appointment. Other critics out there will put that question forward. Insofar as mitigation against conflict of interest, he will not be, he'll have to recuse himself for any applications in front of the PUB prior to July, and then for the next six months. Now, the next six months doesn't represent a big chunk of the next seven years, so we'll put that forward to Mr. Uh, Mr. Brown this morning, and even if Ron Penny or others who have been quoted in the news with their questions about conflict of interest, that's something we can absolutely take on. So in that world, you know, there's going to be, in Liberty, of course, they said they were concerned with Newfoundland Labrador's pace of play in trying to come up with backup generation when and if Holyrood is decommissioned by the end of the decade. So there's a lot to it. And even in the world of electrification, you know, when Jennifer Williams at Hydro says that they are expecting a doubling in demand and lots of reasons for, but it'd be nice to get updates even from industry and or Hydro about what some of the public building electrification looks like. Because remember, it's not that long ago that that was going to be one of the the go-to models used by the province. You know, they started with a couple, notably at Memorial University, which has been controversial in Mr. Brown's opinion as well. So anything in that front that you think is of note or interest to you, let's talk about it this morning. Okay. So the Conservative Party of Canada had their convention over the weekend, the first for their new leader, Mr. Poliev. There's a lot to discuss there. I didn't follow along, like, watching it or anything, but I did follow a couple of the reporters who were in the room bringing forth all the resolutions voted by the members, most of it on the social side. But one thing where I think most of us across the country are seeing that the crisis and the crunch in housing is really I think driving a lot of things, whether it be inside the inflationary numbers, affordable housing is unattainable for many people across the country, yet no discussion on housing at the convention. That's ju- I just thought it was interesting. But then you look at some of the folks who are involved in residential construction, any of the umbrella organizations, and they say that basically their biggest problem here is not the mortgage stress test. It's not necessarily the increase in interest rates. It's access to the tradespeople. At current production for housing starts, in the next decade, you know, based on the pace historically, the country would build about 2.3 million homes. The forecast is for the need for 5.8 million homes. So the gap between the two is mad. If we are going to proceed, as the federal liberals said they will, uh, regarding immigration, then there's got to be a keen focus on immigrants coming who have some background in residential construction and or healthcare and or tech, whatever the case may be. And then you try to blend in some of the economic uh, updates we've seen on the federal front. In July, the economy shrank. There was a contraction. In August, you know, depending on your political leanings, people are applauding what we heard from the August numbers. So what we were told is that the Stats Canada produces these numbers. Generally, you can trust Stats Canada across the board. So 39,900 jobs were added last month. The prediction was for about half of that. The problem there is that if you dig a little further into the numbers, it's not really as great as is portrayed by some. So here we go. The economy added those jobs, but there was also 103,000 newcomers to the country. The percentage of adults that have a job compared to the working age population, declined by 0.1% to 61.9%. So in different sectors, the massive growth, 52,000 positions were added in science and tech services. Construction added 34,000 jobs. Be nice if you could put a one in front of that. Education lost 44,000 jobs. 
44,000 jobs lost in education. Manufacturing shrunk again by some 30,000 jobs. Self-employment, way up. But if we're going to see, you know, it's great to see jobs added, but they're not keeping up with the pace of the numbers of people coming to the country. There's lots of upside to immigration. You've heard me speak to it repeatedly, but it doesn't make anybody a bad person to wonder how the pace of growth Population growth is keeping up with the need for the commensurate economic growth. So digging a little further down is absolutely required here. You know, just reading headlines that economy has 39,900 jobs, twice than expected, bravo. But there's more to it than those numbers. So anyway, you want to take on some of those big fronts on the federal scene? We're happy to do exactly that this morning. All right. I don't know, there's a lot of people really quite concerned with how the media, and I guess including me, has covered some of the news stories, especially when it comes to criminal justice. There was an arrest made last week, which I think has spurred on further conversation about the perils online. So, yes, the headlines on this particular arrest included the person's professional background and their sporting background. But again, to reiterate, it's a much bigger conversation than one criminal case, one allegation yet to be proven in a court, of course. I wonder how many of these conversations were spurred on, though, because you know full well that there's going to be plenty of children, youth, young adults that are fully reliant with their online presence, and there's lots that go with it, lots of good, but lots of bad out there. So I just wonder whether or not that conversation has been further intensified in many homes. And then it's the thought that we've got to talk more about it in school. So on top of that concern and how it belongs in the curriculum and how we discuss it and to which age we have these types of discussions, but the first week of back to school is behind us. Still get some emails over the weekend talking about supports that are not in place, class sizes up and down the line. I broached the issue regarding school safety, now just online safety, but things like out in the playground, out in the parking lot, those types of things. So if you want to take it on, we can do it. Also, I had an interesting email from a parent of a school-aged child. They didn't tell me how old the child was, what grade they were in, or anything like that. But wondering whether or not the teachers, administrators, and not only in the K-12 system, but also in the university settings or post-secondary, is how prepared teachers are to recognize when the student has taken the shortcut for using artificial intelligence, you know, the old chat GPTs of the world and what have, what have you. It's a good question. There are some red flags out there, but some of those are kind of philosophical ways to keep an eye on. You're talking about the tone or the lack of texture, the lack of personalizing your writings. I mean, do teachers really know their students well enough, especially in the school, the beginning of the school year, to recognize all of those contextual issues i don't know i doubt it but you know that ai conversation i think is something that is absolutely huge and we can take it on if you're interested also last week a story that gives people concern once again inside criminal justice is the fact that there's 17 homicides in front of the courts and just for comparison again there was 13 ongoing homicide cases in 2020 9 in 2018 6 in 2015 10 in 2012 17 was the number last week add another one now 18 there was an arrest made out in the West Coast, a 33-year-old been accused of first-degree murder against an elderly woman, apparently a relative of his. So the province has, you know, we're trying to catch up. I think many people understand where we see the spike in crime, especially really the serious crimes, homicide. And, of course, that number doesn't include any appeals. It doesn't include other deaths caused by criminal negligence or drunk driving or those types of things. So the numbers are growing day after day over day over month. 
The province has made some additional budget for the Crown Prosecutor's Office, but when compared to even other parts of Atlantic Canada, we're not really anywhere near trying to help manage their prosecutorial uh, workload and or their rate of pay. So this issue might be happening behind the scenes because when we think and watch criminal justice and stories regarding crime, we look at the criminals. Right? We look at those accused and the turnstile at the courthouse. Maybe, just maybe, we haven't given enough thought to the strain and the stress, whether it be on the legal aid system and or the Crown prosecutors. So that's where the province has a distinct responsibility. And there's some Supreme Court rulings that will play an, a very key role in their access to a timely trial. So anyway, put that out there for your consideration. How are we doing on the telephone, Dave? All right. Very quickly, there were some people who were obviously commercial fish harvesters in the last several days. I probably have somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 emails on this front. There's, and of course, inside the fishery, there's endless examples of issues that we need to talk about. But they're wondering how the province is regarding the relationship between the commercial wild harvest and the fact that the government is absolutely bullish on the aquaculture industry. You know, trying to see an increase in production up to 50,000 tons. You know, when you look at environmental impact and or the relationship between the fish farms and the commercial harvester, it extends beyond that because even in the environmental world, the industry says they're doing much better with disease management and the use of pesticides, mass die-offs, escapes, those types of things. But I haven't heard the province say a whole, whole lot about that. Now, the, the industry will say, why would we want to pollute where we operate? That makes sense to me. But we've seen examples that gives people just cause to think, well, where is the oversight? And who are the regulators? Because it's hard to have a regulator who's really quite optimistic and bullish and is willing to call critics of the industry simply naysayers when asking questions doesn't necessarily make you the bad person, the naysayer, the contrarian. It's people out there who are seeing what we've seen and wonder what the path looks forward to see an expansion of the industry to 50,000 tons annually, which is around double where we are at this moment in time. So we can take that on as well. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM up online. Follow us there. Email address is openline.fiosim.com. When we come back, let's kick it off talking about water quality up in Labrador. George wants to talk about crosswalks, and then we're going to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. Now, welcome back to the program. Was asked during the break, why no mention of the fact that this is absolutely and obviously September the 11th? You know, we heard Jerry Lynn Mackey on the VOC Morning Show speak with Gander Mayor Percy Farwell about some of the commemorations uh, taking place in his community today. You know, we just saw Come From Away wrap up an outstanding run out in Gander through over the course of the summer. So, obviously, it's a generational thing. The world has changed forevermore, I would suggest, as a result of the atrocities of September 11th. So, yeah, you know, when I heard that conversation between Mayor Farwell and Jerry Lynn this morning, of course, like many, I remember exactly where I was. I remember a lot about they and the horrific scenes that we all saw on television in particular. So, yes, of course, September 11th, and nobody can ever forget. Uh, let's go to line number Number two. Good morning, George. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Welcome to the show. You've laid down some great topics already this morning. So uh, my mine may sound a little bit mundane, but uh, to be truthful with you, uh, uh, I've been really troubled recently. I, I, I have vision loss, and, and I have to use a white cane to uh, to get out around. And, and I'm starting to realize why a lot of people with their with vision loss don't go out anywhere. You know, they're they're uh, they're housebound, I guess for want of a better term, but uh, crosswalks are are, uh, are are one of the most dangerous things that I think I've encountered since I've started using the weak cane. 
uh, I've uh, and and it ju- you just don't have to be on a main thoroughfare. Some of the most dangerous ones I've I've encountered. I was knocked down once. Uh, my wife and I uh, a few weeks ago uh, we almost uh, got hit in a crosswalk at the health sciences. We were coming out to health sciences and we were and there wasn't a car a car around. You couldn't hear one and my wife didn't even see one. And all of a sudden, out of the uh, the ticket booth, this truck. Uh, we heard the re- engine revving and stopped about six inches from us. We were we were in the middle of the crosswalk, and uh, and only because I gave the big ball that uh, that uh, he stopped. And uh, interesting enough, he said, oh, "I didn't even see you." And uh, I, I said, "No, boy, I'm I'm that small." I said, "Maybe you should have the weekend, not me." But Patty, it's with the kids going back to school. Um, it, it's. I, I think. I think people have got to slow down and 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 start realizing that this speed and and, and carelessness that's that's becoming more and more rampant in, in our communities has got to stop. You know, we, we've uh, we've got kids going out for the first time and uh, you know five six years old and just just running. Uh, you know, is a tremendous worry. You know, I'm a grandparent, and and I think about my my grandchildren going out to school, and and the, the experiences I've shared, even with the white cane. Uh, what chance would a, a little child have? Uh, if if somebody's negligent. Absolutely, and not just in school zones, as you rightfully point out. I live in a school neighborhood, and Friday afternoon, after I had said, you know, on Friday morning, I believe that you can really feel the buzz in the neighborhood, just how busy it is again after the, the long summer break. Then I'm going to the grocery store around 20 after 2, just before the children are released, but of course, just in time for their parents to be making their way to the school to pick up their kid. And the guy in front of me, he saw that the crosswalk car was just about to step out with her stop sign he's on a motorcycle and he recognized that she was about to slow him down there was cars coming and trying to stop in time for her he took off like a bat out of hell and he roasted it down that street right in front of the school like he was late for something important so look who would want to be the person that strikes anyone, especially a child, I guess, when all you have to do is just relax? You're getting nowhere in a hurry in this city. I'll just see you at the next red light. I'll just see you at the grocery store. You'll be getting your cart when I come in the parking lot. But you took an opportunity and a chance to get there quicker just because of whatever. And it's it's simply ridiculous. Well, I mean, it does feel like a mundane conversation talking about road safety, but not until it comes down to a headline where we might see something, someone struck hurt, someone struck and killed. So, George, it's... It's an important topic to bring up because I think we all see it. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the province, but in and around St. John's and surrounding area, it's out of hand. It's, it's simply out of control. It, it's uh, it's crazy, Patty. You know, the speed limits don't mean a thing. It's just uh, I'm, I live here in Mount Pearl, and, and I, I notice on my street here, there's construction going on up in uh, in the other end of my street as they, as it connects into Ken Mount Road, and there's dump trucks going up and down here, and you'd swear you're at the Av- Avondale uh, Raceway. You know, it's it's absolutely crazy what's happening. You know, and and uh, 7:30 in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, uh, when when some of the workers are going to work, it is flat out. And coincidentally, it's the same time the children are going to school. Yep. And and uh, I don't know. It, it's I remember the first time when I started using my cane. I, I was, and and I always all my life I've always put up my hand before I, to make sure I get the attention of the driver. 
who's who's supposed to be coming at the crosswalk and supposed to be stopping for you. Uh, you don't you don't take that for granted anymore. You know, I, I remember out at the old Costco, this guy, uh, I put up my hand to him. He put his hand up to me and uh, I walked across and all of a sudden he let his passenger out. And next thing I was under the front bumper of his truck. You know, and uh, thankfully I wasn't hurt, but he didn't. Uh, he uh, he said, "Are you okay?" I said, "I'll find out now when I get up." And uh, he backed back, and uh, I got up and pulled that around me. And went on. <laughs> and that, that was all there was to it. You know, I'd, honestly, I I don't know what's going on between some people's ears. You know, it's uh, it, it's it's this big urgency to be somewhere that, uh, like as you said, I'll see you at the next uh, the next red light. That's pretty much how it goes. You know, I don't know what happens when some people get behind the wheel. All of their sensibilities get shelved. I just really don't quite understand exactly what goes on. But, look, you made an important point there is to make eye contact with the person behind the wheel. I mean, it's one of the, I I would think it's one of the things that all all us parents would tell our children, especially when they're getting a bit of independence and allowed to cross the street for the first time and those types of things. But then you said you had that eye contact and exchanged waves and still got struck. So, again, it's just hard to understand what goes on out there. I do hope that the pilot project with speed cameras out of Mount Pearl and Paradise is expanded, and I mean wide and far, for next season whatever that actually means because you know nothing uh, slows you down quite like a police car but then a camera and or a crosswalk and or pedestrians and bicyclists and joggers they should be all reasons why you slow down you know and and, you know you should be able to go out and and i know for me uh, i've been five years now using the weight cane and and at least have the the, a little bit of uh, comfort to know that there are cross, crosswalks there. There are signals there, and uh, you know, it, it, you, you have at least the comfort of trying to cross that crosswalk safely. You know, and and because you don't want to stay in. I, I know I'm still uh, able to walk and and uh, as much as I can, I want to. And but when I when I, I sort of maneuver myself now that it's almost uh, I'm confined to one block. You know, to go around that block and and uh, don't dare touch the crosswalk. You know, it's. it's it's just I've learned so many lessons from it that and close calls that I, I don't wish to I don't wish to end up in a hospital bed anymore. You know, of course not. I would like to, for instance, I would like to ride my bicycle more. But it's a little bit stressful. Like, even when my boys go out for a ride on their bike, it stresses me out. <laughs> now, maybe I'm just a bit of a worrywart when it comes to my own kids. But even just a bit of exercise on a bicycle or anything of the, of the sort does kind of feel like you're taking your life in your hands sometimes. And not to be hyperbolic, but it feels kind of dangerous out there on the two wheels. Uh, George, would you like to say anything else this morning? No, uh, just, just uh, you know, I, I want to plead with people to stop and think about... Uh, what's happening around them and and watch the crosswalks watch out for little children and watch out for people with disabilities and and uh, you know to put all that in their minds and and for parents to have a chat with their kids when they get home this afternoon and and uh, you know just just hopefully uh, patty this conversation this morning will help save somebody's life hopefully george i appreciate your time this morning thank you Thank you, Patty. Take care. You're doing a great job. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. You know, I think it's pretty common occurrence that we have to change our mindset from, say, from fall to winter. We all know what it means to operate in the snow and the icy conditions, but sometimes... We don't make that adjustment in our head before it's too late. I would imagine it's very similar to when we have back to school. 
because my neighbor was kind of sleepy for the most part. Then back to school comes around and it's a beehive of activity. So anyway, let's keep going. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, line number one. I'll put line number one on hold. Dave, make sure she's still there. We'll come back down in a second. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Bonnie. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Doing okay. Thanks. How are you doing? Good. Um, first time caller, long time listener. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm calling Patty. Uh, the reason I'm calling is my son recently completed a computer systems networking program with Kona. Um, he completed his program, his work term, actually on the 18th of August. Uh, lucky enough to get a job with Eastern Health, actually. He got hired from his work term in a temp full-time position for 13 weeks. Uh, the only snag we have is that he needs a letter from Kona stating that he has completed his work term. It's basically a five-minute letter somebody can type up on Word, that, but it has to come from Kona itself on Prince Philip Drive. So his hire, his start date with Eastern Health is temporarily put on hold until he can get this letter from Kona. Um, we have been physically at the school itself. We went from office to office. We're getting nowhere with it. We've got emails. We've got wrong emails. We've got redirected emails. Um, you know, it's basically a generic email stating letters at Kona Prince Philip Drive. So, I'm, I mean, I appreciate they're quite busy. They have new students. They have returning students. But, like, if he was looking for employment, it wouldn't be as frustrating. But knowing he has employment and this is the only thing that's holding him back from starting... I don't know if you or any of your listeners or maybe there may even be somebody at Princeville Drive Campus that can actually just type up that letter, give us a shout and say, hey, come in and pick it up. So obviously, if you've gone from office to office, that's included the registrar's office. Yeah. So, and you say redirected email. So the one that I know that I've given to folks in the past, I'm pretty sure the suffix was cna.nl.cn. I think it was simply transcript. So is that getting redirected as well? It's letters at... Yeah, letters.ppd is the email that we're getting. Try transcripts at cna.nl.ca. Maybe even if it's not the uh, specific or the appropriate one, maybe just maybe when you put it in the rear, they'll tell you exactly who to call or exactly what to do. So I'd give that one a shot as well. Uh, can you just say that again, Patty? Sorry? Sure. It's transcripts. Yeah. At yeah. cna. Yeah. .nl. Yeah. .ca. Okay, perfect. We'll try that one. Yeah, give it a shot and get back to me. If that's not satisfactory, I'll try to dig up something else or I'll send along a generic email to CNAs and let me find out if I can do something to get you the right number, get you the right person, get you the proper email address. But try that one and let me know. We've, uh, yeah, because like we've even got a letter. He got his complete course marks on the weekend from, from CNA, like with his, like his transcripts, work term complete 100%. Yeah. So we even forwarded that off the HR last night just to see if that would be okay. Like, you know, this is proof that he's completed his work term with intent to graduate. He's completed this course, but they need that actual letter with the CNA letterhead on it saying that he has completed that work course. So they wouldn't they wouldn't take that his transcript as, as proof. They need that letter, right? It's a strange uh, additional requirement, but if that's what they need, let's see if we can get them what they are asking for. So try that email address. Once again, if you don't have any luck with it, get back to me and we'll see what we can do. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much, Matty. You're you welcome. Have a good day. You too. All the best. Right, bye-bye. Yeah, so here's the transcript indicating exactly what they require. Work term complete, 100%. 
Now you need a letter to say work term completed 100%. Okay. Let's see if that could be uh, rectified with that particular email address. Let's take a break. Uh, hopefully that caller is back in the queue. Uh, we'll talk about water quality in Labrador. And then we'll begin the next segment with Nelson. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Nelson, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, Nelson, on line number three, you're on the air. Okay. Uh, how are you today? I'm not doing too bad. Our ter- our connection is terrible this morning. Are you uh, calling us on a cell phone? Yes, sir, I am. I'm in the West Coast. Okay, it's a little bit better. Let's try. Go ahead, sir. What's on your mind? I'm just calling you to say I'm a second-time caller. The first time I called you, I talked in regards to the roads in Newfoundland. Uh, You did mention they were getting a $250 million uh, grant. I do have to say the work done is outstanding. The roads are looking better. A lot of lives will be saved. And uh, my hat goes off to the construction crews. Yeah, fair enough. They're spending more money in this road work season than every than any season prior. So hopefully that is part of the solution. You'll never gonna get it all done one summer. But anyway, I'm glad to hear they're better where you are. Good. Yes. Uh, I also just wanted to mention to you about the elderly, uh, Patty. I'm uh, I'm an elderly guy myself. I'm 66 and I'm still working. I'm still out there uh, contributing. And uh, I just look at the elderly people in Newfoundland, and I really feel sorry for them. A lot of them are, are well provided for, but a lot of them are not. And the income that they get from, uh, I guess, from our senior citizens' uh, subsidy is absolutely terrible. I think that our uh, federal government should do something about that, because I can't imagine how people live on $900 a month. Me neither. I mean, people who are working and maybe in a family with uh, the husband and wife or two professionals working, the the need to make ends meet is becoming more and more difficult. My purchasing power, and I'm in my 50s and I'm working full time, and my purchasing power has been crippled in the last couple of years. So for folks out there who are working for very low wages and or people on fixed income, seniors and otherwise, I honest to God don't know how they do it. I was, you know, how come our ministry, how come our federal minister has not, apparently we got a new one now, Mr. O'Regan seems to be in charge of that. How come he hasn't once mentioned our seniors when he's supposed to, and, and the dental care that they got? I know people that have don't have any teeth, and they won't give them d- d- dental work. Uh, how do they eat? I guess they eat mush most of the time. That's not right for our, our elderly. They should be fed the best and taken care of the best time. But half of them are not, and half of them don't even know what to do. And when it comes election time, they're the first ones there to vote. So the federal government will tell you that there's been an expansion of some support programs, and yes, that will include dental, and of course that bus is basically driven by the the new Democratic Party. Then they'll talk about a 10% increase in old age security, but that's only for seniors 75 years in age and older. So there is a huge stall, and some of those things are indexed to the consumer price index, so, so against some cost of living measures, but nowhere near where they need to be for so many seniors. Not every senior out there is struggling mightily, but plenty of them are. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm looking forward to my own retirement. 
you know, at 66, it comes time to put in 50 years of trucking that you'd like to get out of it and take your time to work your life in comfort. Can't do it. I have to stay at work. If I was not to work, I don't think I'd make it. I think I would suffer and be one of them people that have to live on an income of, say, $1,400 a month. That's not enough today for anybody to live on, especially a senior. And seniors only get nine or $900. Right. Uh, the connection is failing us here this morning, Nelson, unfortunately. I can uh, hardly hear you, so I would imagine it's even worse for the listener. Yes, sir. Okay, sir. Well, I can always call you back another day and we'll have the conversation. Let's do that. I appreciate this. Sorry about the connection. And that's okay, sir. Thank you. Have a good one, Patty. You too. Take good care. All right, bye-bye. And on, I'll add to the thoughts that when we got the August economic update and 39,900 jobs added, and I mentioned how that compares to the uh, participation rate and how many people have come to the country and what some of those numbers really mean. Add into it, you would imagine that some of those folks are probably returned to the workforce out of need. And I know many, many stories just here in the province where people had retired and thought, well, finally, I can kick up my feet. I can do the things I've always planned on doing and dreamt of doing. But now when I look at the bills as they flow in the door, when I look at the, uh, my receipt when I go to the grocery store or anything else that we touch or see or feel, it's more expensive. And so some folks are going back to work when they thought they had reached their golden years and work was behind them, but probably not. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. Uh, I don't really know where to start. Hello? Uh, yeah, I'm just listening. Where would you like to start? Well, um, I'm a senior. I'm a widow. And uh, I just moved back into my home that I've had now for 30-plus years. My husband is deceased, and uh, I've been trying to get Labrador Housing to help me. Now, they told me I would have to uh, live in the house for them to help me. But the problem is uh, my husband and I had separated for six years, and I moved to another town not far from where I was, and I had to rely on social assistance uh, for everything. So my husband and I, we stayed friends, even though we separated. And um, he was to visit me one night, and uh, we had dinner, and then he had... um, massive stroke and a brain bleed and then he had to leave his house this house and I didn't have anyone to take care of him so I packed a suitcase from where I was living and I came up and I took care of him so he had to go to St. John's for uh, brain surgery and I was with him every day up until the day he died because they couldn't get a, a respite worker, caregiver, or nothing. So when I came back here uh, on last Thursday, well, of course, the house 
needs repairs. The water here is what I'm concerned about. I can't drink it. I can only use it for the toilet, and then it looks like it's so brown you don't don't know how much rust is in it. I gotta rely on someone else to uh, bring water from a watering hole uh, to wash uh, myself, to drink, and to cook. Now I've been in touch uh, with social services. And when I told her the story, um, she accused me of fraud in the government, and she also accused me of uh, remarrying my husband just to get his uh, Canada pension. So I, I don't know where to go from here. And not only that, my house is infested in one spot with those what they call emmets and ants and stuff like that. And I'm trying to get things fixed, but who do I turn to? I'm only getting 460 a month to live off of. That's between my pension and my husband's pension. I don't know why there was an accusation of defrauding the government, which is a strange way for a public sector worker to immediately go to pretty severe and serious accusation so have you tried to go outside of the department and just deal with your member that might be able to put an advocate on your side whether it be jordan brown or anybody else in labrador jordan brown uh, uh here on the west coast yeah, so he's the member for lab west uh i'm in newfoundland actually oh I, it says uh, quality in labrador t- uh, off the top of my screen so okay you're on the province's west coast whereabouts are you um, near Port of Ass. Okay, so let's see. Stephenville is. Would that be Tony Wakeham's office? Anyway, I'm going to give you a number to call. Okay. And if it's not the proper one, then they will put you on to someone who should be able to help. All right, just one second here. Do you have a pen handy? Yes. Okay, so it's, uh, so of course, 709. 709. 643. 643. 0813. Zero eight one three. Yeah. Is there anyone in particular I would have to ask for? No, I don't think so. You'll just be able to uh, tell them where you're calling from, and if they say, "Well, your member is actually this person," they'll give you a number. They'll help you out. So you just call, tell them who you are, what your problem is, and you should be able to get some satisfaction, or at least someone to uh, try to help you out. Yes, Patty. You you said you didn't know why someone uh, would accuse me of fraud. I can answer that one for you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, When uh, I remarried my husband, he was in the new rehab center in Cornerbrook. Now he was paralyzed on one side. He was having strokes and many strokes. And he had no one uh, family member that could stay with him and help him. And he didn't have a caregiver. So when we got remarried, uh, he was still in the hospital. We got married in the hospital. And um, with all the things going on, preparing to go to St. John's for brain surgery and whatever, um, I never called social services and said we got remarried because nothing had changed. He was um, in the hospital right up until he passed away, except for the last 
week or so he wanted to die at home which I kept all of his wishes he wanted to remarry me and uh, that was another wish of his so um, because I didn't pick up the phone right away and call him and tell him tell them that we remarried uh, which nothing had changed. She tried to accuse me of being being on the same bank account with with him, but um, when I asked her whose name it was, she gave me my son's name, and she said, "So you frauded uh, social services by not calling us and letting us know." But we still lived in separate towns, and he had his own bank account. I had my own bank account. Nothing, like, he was in the hospital. He was in the hospital dying, and he couldn't get home, and I didn't take any of his money, but I did go to St. John's. We did find out. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but he had uh, glioblastoma, and uh, this is a cancer that couldn't be cured. They only gave him so long to live. And uh, by the 15th of December, he had passed away. So my son said to me, um, I will pay for your trip up to Alberta, and I'll pay for your trip back. Because he did want me to be alone for Christmas, and uh, my grandkids are up there. So I took the trip, and I came back, and I decided I can't move into the house because... You know, there's certain things wrong, and now they're saying that I frauded them, but they cut me off in April, and I've been selling things in the house just to get by, besides my little bit of pension I'm getting. Understood. I, I tell you what, I gave you a the wrong number. What I'm going to do now is I'll tell you, give that, scratch that one out, I'm going to give you the proper number because your member obviously would be Andrew Parsons for Port of Basque and I should have known that quicker than I did, so let me give you the proper number to call, okay? Okay. So scratch that other one out and uh, call 709 709-695-695-3585 and you'll get someone there to at least be able to answer some questions and I wish you good luck trying to get this settled thanks for your time thank you very much for the time you listen to me I, I really appreciate it a- anytime take care and good luck take care okay bye bye alright uh, let's go ahead and take that break when we come back plenty of time for you topic of course is up to you don't go away Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number five, Annette, you are on the air. Hello, Hello. Patty. Yes, hello. Hi, Patty. Hi there. I'm a first-time caller, but a long, long long-time listener. When Rob Pumphrey was on the year years ago. Okay. (laughs) But what I... uh, what to, I was speaking to Greg there now. I had a stroke back in March, and now I'm really good now. Like I, Dr. Hillman gave me a little walker, and I walk every day now for about a half hour uh, with the little walker because I had a lend of one from uh, a Red Cross, but where I was on oxygen used to get tangled up or whatever. Okay. But I like to have. Um, like a male student or a male person that's working or Greg said something about matching up with a, 
um, matching up with uh, a student or something. Okay. And like I said, I don't care if I have a, a queen-size uh, bed here. Like it's, it's a fairly big uh, bedroom. And they can have their own entrance on the back if they wanted to. And it's... Um, uh, like it's, it's fully furnished. I have lots of uh, lots of bed clothes and lots of towels and stuff. And my bathroom got the jets in it. And like I said, they could have the run of the house if they wanted to. You know, like say if this uh, this man or this student had a partner. I don't care if it's you know sex doesn't bother me. Like I said, it could be a man. It does. It doesn't bother me, but. Like, we could probably barter something to uh, do a bit of snow clearing for me. Now, I do have Mercer's comes up in the in the winter and does my driveway for me. Now, I'm not allowed to drive anymore because I, or I had the stroke in March. My peripheral uh, vision is gone, but it's starting to come back, thank God. Okay. But, um, like I said, I enjoy your show. I, first, I start watching you on, with Chrissy Holmes. And I had the fog, because my nephew was on that, Peter Walsh, used to be on that then too, right? And uh, now I've been uh, listening to you either in the morning. Sometimes I listen to the current in the morning and listen to you at night time or whatever, like, you know. Okay. But like I said, I'm right across from um, Marie's Minimark in the Goulds. The bus, is, the bus stop is just across the, well, next door to to my mobile home. And then, like I said, we have Bigwood's Plaza up there that is only five minutes walk. I mean, if this person has a has a car, there's lots of room in in the driveway for for them or whatever, like, you know. And like I said, we can work something out. He can help me out and I can help him out. And that's the way that program should work, and apparently it works quite well. It's not as formal as that you as it used to be, but I'm able to give you a number. The person at, say, for instance, Memorial University, who's in charge of student residence, uh, the residences for students, and some of the programs to match seniors with students, his name is Bruce Belbin. And uh, he's been in the news a few times saying that there is an opportunity there for seniors like yourself to bring a student into the house, and they'll help you navigate it. So if you want that telephone number, I can give it to you. And if when you call it, ask for Bruce Belbin. Bruce Belbin. Yep. B-E-L. Yeah, B-E-L-B-I-N, Belbin, like the grocery store. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. Okay, and his telephone number, or the office for that uh, that Mr. Belbin works in, is, uh, of course, 709 is the area code. Mm-hmm. And then it's 864. 864. 75. 75. 90. 90. Yep. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. Do they still torment you about your red pants? <laughs> As a matter of fact, they do. <laughs> and I know everything about uh, Nicholas and Jack. You're you're a good dad. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. The boys are terrific. Uh, yeah. And yeah, boys out of the fog. That's not yesterday. I think I left that show in like 2010 or something. So that's yeah, a while ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed you on that, you and Chrissy or whatever, like, you know. Yeah. And like I said, I, I listened to you, like I said, it was not in the morning, I listened to you in the night time, because I'm not much for, for TV. And also in, in this bedroom that I have, there's a cable that's all set up, there's a TV there, and like I said, the deep freeze there, and they have the 
the run of the house, like, you know. Well, th- there's something you could probably get worked out here, because I know they're probably still trying to find accommodations for some of the students. So you call that number, see if you can't get it organized, and uh, hopefully that happens for you. Yeah, and Linda, I, I said to Greg, I Mrs. Linda in the night time to when she used to be on, poor old Minnie used to phone in every night, I think, and Linda had so much patience with her. <laughs> she, she was from Summerford or whatever, right? But a lot, lot of the old ones are gone now. Like, Marjorie don't be on no more. Yeah, I don't know where Marjorie is, to be honest. Uh, oh, I haven't heard from her in a while. The man, of course, he passed away, right? The, the moon man used to be That's on. Right. And then there was, the, I don't hear Ted on anymore either. I, I worked with Ted because I was an LPN. Ted knows where they don't, don't hear Ted anymore. Yeah, Ted was on I, last week, actually. Oh. He, he called about uh, some of the art that he's collecting, if I remember correctly. But yeah, oh. we, I have spoken to Ted in the recent past. So yeah, and then of course there's a, a caller that we speak who, to uh, every now and then, a fellow named Bob Thorne, who I really enjoyed yes, speaking with. I like with. him. I like him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bob, Bob just yeah. passed away. I really, I really, really enjoy your show. I mean, like I said, in the night time I go to bed, like I said, and I go to bed with Patty, and Patty's over 12 o'clock then in the night time, and I'll turn it back on CBC. It's uh, lots of podcasts on that, like, you know. Uh-huh. But God love you, Patty. Like I said, but you're doing wonderful, wonderful work. I know everybody wants you to run for premier. I think you'd be a good premier, but then we'd have nobody to fall back on. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the call. And now what I want you to do is when you finish that phone call to Memorial University, uh, give Dave a call back and okay. let him know if you have any luck. And I'd, be, I'd appreciate an update. Okay, thank you very much, Pat. Have a good day. The very same to you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, yeah, so let's see. For Paul and Daryl and Gilbert in the queue, you hang tough because there's about a minute to the newscast, and we don't want to uh, uh, give you short shrift for the amount of time you'll have on the program. Uh, out of the fog, boy, that's a long time ago now. <clears throat> And, you know, pretty well. So it was me, Chrissy, and, of course, Chrissy is the host of the morning show over on CBC as well, so she's doing great, and I'm always pleased to hear that. All right, and I actually heard from my first co-host at uh, FOG uh, just last week, and that's Chris Rodofsky, and she's working with Chair Bruce Productions. They're about to kick off uh, their uh, run at the Majestic Theater, so I think they're opening, what is it, uh, Wild Rover? That's a comedy they have coming up soon, so a little blast from the past. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openline.vocm.com. And another question about a caller we've spoken to many, many times over the years here on the show. Uh, there's a caller or a listener, pardon me, asking me about Bruno. I'm not sure. Uh, Bruno, of course, is in Cape Breton and he has told us here on this program that he's uh, unwell. I don't know how he's feeling today, but of course Bruno has called many times and I uh, hope you're doing okay, Bruno. He and I have clashed or butted heads or whatever. It's nothing personal and hopefully you're doing okay. So I'm not exactly sure what's uh, happening with Bruno but if you are listening, Bruno, maybe just send us an email. No need to call. <laughs> just send us a quick email let us know how you're doing all right let's go ahead and take a break when we come back tons of time left for you don't go away welcome back to the program let's go to line number five and say good morning to the owner at premier sports academy that's ryan sweeney good morning ryan you're on the air hey how are you doing this morning doing grand how about you good thank you how about those blue jays 
Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to speak too soon. I'm just, I'll wait until the end of September. I'm trying not to talk about it when they're doing well. Yeah, well, eight and two in the last ten. I mean, I think this four-game set against Texas is probably going to tell the tale. I know they finish up in the East where they've struggled all year, but yeah, fingers crossed. Let's not jinx it at this moment. Uh, Ryan, so you've got a premier academy for baseball players. You know, just yeah. tell us about your own baseball background before we get into what's happening at the academy. Sure. So I uh, I grew up here in Newfoundland myself. Um, I left uh, in 2004 when I was 15 years old. My my uh, mother and father made the decision to move my brother and I to Ontario uh, to continue playing because there, there really wasn't anything here at the time. Like there was there was no indoor facilities. Um, you know, the Technoplex didn't exist at the time. PSA didn't exist at the time. And so uh, my parents moved us to Ontario. Uh, my brother was playing with uh, the junior national program at the time. And, and then we both moved up and, and played with a couple of travel programs uh, in the Kitchener area and spent the next three years traveling around Canada and into the States. Did you play any NCAA ball? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't play college ball myself. No, I tore my ACL in high school, and that was kind of the end of my baseball career. I hear you. Okay, so you got the timing. He opened up in February 2020, just in time for the pandemic to strike. So, the recovery from that on every front has been a real, a real challenge for many. What does it look like at the academy now? So you had all the intentions, you know, to try to replicate some of the young people that we see as mentors in other sports. You know, Carl English in basketball, Newhook and Mercer and Clary and the others in hockey. And so in baseball, we've produced some great baseball players here, whether it be Darren Colburn or Frankie Humber or Michael. Larry, those types of guys who are in the professional churn. Humper, I think, was part of the Dodgers Association. What are you doing here? What kind of successes are you having with your, the, I guess, your clients or the athletes you're working with? Sure, yeah. And, and you know, in talking about some of those guys, like there's Troy Croft and we talked about yeah. and Frank Humber as well. Like a lot of those guys, they had to move away. Uh, and that was the big, you know, that was the big key. They had to move away to kind of realize the the final part of their success to, you know, to try to reach the levels they were aspiring for. Yeah, I'll throw so Gerald really Bott into that conversation too. Gerald as well. Yeah, I know Gerald very well. And and they all have the same, you know, same theme. They moved away in high school uh, to train and, and things like that. And so what we're trying to do is we're just trying to bring that part of the development uh, back to Newfoundland. You know, you can you can train in the off season at home. You can stay with your family, be with your family because all of that stuff matters. You know, you don't need homesickness to be setting in permanently when you're 15 years old. And, and a lot of athletes will talk about that stuff. But bringing the training back here so that when you go to compete at the level that you want to compete at, you're you're prepared to do that. And we've had pretty good success with that the last couple of years. You know, we've got two kids with the the national program right now so jade is with the female program yep. and hudson's with the the junior male program um rylan andrews is playing college out in uh, british columbia uh cody butt who's actually gerald's son is playing in williston state in north dakota and he had an unbelievable last year he was an all-conference pitcher uh just down the road in north dakota is, is nick smith he's, he's playing at lake region um and then eli dumpy is one of our kids he just committed to a junior college called mccook and then out on the west coast he's trained with us a little bit here and there as uh, jay miller um so you're, you're starting to see some of that success uh, you know, more consistently. And that's why, you know, there's always, as you pointed out, there's always been good baseball players from Newfoundland. But now it's the consistency of the kids. If they're looking to pursue it, it's just helping them put them on that path so that they can, you know, reach towards those goals. Yeah, and even some of the young hockey players and others, they've had to leave for a couple of reasons. You know, there's two things. You need the talent, you need the drive, determination, all those things, the work ethic. But when we're talking about infrastructure, you need the coaching and you need the competition. So you're bringing the coaching side to it. How can you deal with the competition 
competition side because and this is not to say we don't have some decent competition here in minor and amateur baseball but there's nothing quite like getting on the Atlantic or the national stage to just see how good you are when compared to your, your fellow baseball players across the country so you can take care of the coaching side how do you make sure that competition also gets the players where they want to be? You know, it's a great question. So what we do with, with some of our kids, depending on, you know, the level that they're pursuing. So uh, our kids that are pursuing college baseball, there's a really good trip that a lot of programs that I've developed relationship with, relationships with outside of Newfoundland, I'll send them with them. So they do college ball tours. So, you know, Eli has done it in the past. He went down with the Ontario Blue Jays and, you know, played against 15 uh, Division One and NCAA schools last fall, which is, you know, gives him an idea of, of what he needs to complete in his development to to reach that level um for some of our other kids we do, we do a trip in the spring to uh to florida and that just gets you on the field a little bit sooner um and then also again lets you know where you are but gives you a good place going into your season like we'll, what we talk to a lot of our kids about from a mindset perspective is you need to see what's above you and it needs to challenge you and you're going to fail but then you need to take that experience back home and when you play locally you need to take that experience and and be able to perform consistently well at your own age group here locally so that you can you know you can begin the process of okay I'm I'm at this level I'm at this level consistently and now I can take that jump to the next level and work to get there consistently so those trips are key and and going on them as an athlete again whether you're successful or not doesn't matter but you need to go on at an experience so you understand what you're training for um, you know if you're a pitcher uh, and I've, I've had this conversation with my nephew he was just at Atlantics in 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 New Brunswick and and he said he's three strikes but he got hit around and I said well you can't throw fastballs over the middle of the plate at that level you need to be able to move the ball around and now he knows that right and so the sooner they experience that the better it helps guide their development you know and it's not only seeing baseball players grow into NCAA players or whatever the case may be but even in the bigs you know I mentioned the FIBA World Cup of Basketball off the top it was not that long ago we had very very few Canadians playing in the NBA and now that has changed dramatically and we just had a bronze medal on the world stage in baseball you know, from Fergie Jenkins and Larry Walker's Hall of Famers. And now there is a laundry list of Canadians that are really doing big things in the bigs. You know, maybe a future Hall of Famer in Joey Votto, say, for instance. And lots of players uh, in various positions. You know, pitchers included. Jeff Francis comes to mind. Catchers, whether it be Russell Martin or Naylor or these kind of guys. How do you make sure that our players look at the bigs as well and say, you know, being a Canadian, I know, I know we claim Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a Canadian as well, born in Montreal, but how do you talk about just look here's what can be achieved it's not just for players from the dominican the united states and japan it's canadians because we're there and we've got a lot of top quality guys sure and i just think about it it's 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 following a path so you know a lot of kids that play hockey here in the families you know, regardless of whether or not the infrastructure was or is here for that sport, people understand the path in that sport. It, it's been well defined for quite some time. It's you got to do your power skating and all that stuff when you're younger, and then you got to play, you know, at the highest level of all star in your community, and then you got to try to get on one of those, you know, AAA teams, then hopefully get drafted into the queue and maybe a World Juniors with Team Canada. And there's a bit of a natural progression, but people that didn't know what that looked like for baseball, and so just putting that path in place, you know, so people can continue to walk down it and they know the direction they're going in. And, hey, maybe one day we will have somebody from Newfoundland who 
who uh, makes it to the big leagues. And, and, you know, that would be awesome. And same thing, even if it doesn't happen, just helping kids, you know, reach their goals and their dreams is, is kind of awesome, you know, regardless of how far it takes them. And regardless of what role anybody plays, when you've dealt with or coached or managed or tutored a young athlete who makes it to the next level, whatever that might be, national junior program, playing college here or south of the border, you know, there's a great sense of pride therein if you're part of that path, as you described. Uh, Ryan, anything else you'd like to say about folks who might be interested in seeing if their son or daughter might be a fit for your academy or anything else before we say goodbye? Sure, yeah. So we're, we're just finalizing our fall registration right now. We have uh, three main programs. We have our intro development program, which is one day a week for people that are kind of looking to test the waters. We have our traditional development program, which is two days a week. So that's one day of baseball and, and one day of uh, strength and conditioning. And then we have our high performance development program, which is three days a week. So they do, you know, their general baseball practice. And then they do two practices a week where they start to specialize on their position of interest uh, and, and as well uh, with the extra lifting as well. So we've, we've kind of divided our program up to, to try to offer something for everyone's interest level and, and then see see what they're interested in. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can uh, help them on their path, whatever that is, make an all-star or, or you know, or making it through college. I appreciate the time. I'll keep up the good work at the Academy, Ryan. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Ryan Sweeney, owner at the Premier Sports Academy, just to switch it up a little bit. And he's right. Don't want to jinx the Blue Jays as they quietly look good. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, plenty of time for you. Don't go away. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Paul, you're on the air. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing okay. How about you? Uh, a little iffy. I'm here uh, painting up the house because uh, I got it for sale. Uh, I'm Colin. I'm looking for a little bit of help because I've been uh, ran through polls by a woman and a couple of her friends. Now, she used Facebook uh, to attack me and uh, ruin my life. And she also called uh, two of the companies that I work for and had me... Uh, I lost my job over this. Now, in June alone, one day, she sent the RNC to my home seven times for seven different allegations. And I have recording since February of audio and video that she has talked to people, and they uh, they recorded it and sent it to me. And she has absolutely ruined my life on this Facebook community channel. Uh, they were allowed to call me bullies, uh, you know, I'm stuck now. I'm financially broke. My my house is now for sale, and she is uh, she has got what she wanted. She has ruined me, and uh, there was that many death threats to my home. They sent a, uh, a few fellers with bulletproof vests to my home, and uh, this was all in since June. I, I suppose I'm not even going to ask exactly what's going on because I'm sure that's a tangle that I'll be unable to uh, yeah, listen, deal with. There is a tangle. The RNC came with the false accusations and all that, and I sent them packing because I had the truth on my phone of what she's doing. Uh, she has attacked me uh, on the community channel down here with a few of her friends. And, uh, you know, like she's, uh, she even, uh, I have recordings of her talking to other people, sending them to different establishments to ask about me and my family. Now, one of these establishments, I called and made them aware of it, and they sent the police after me. So, I, I you know, like one of the allegations uh, was there, uh, 
this fellow called my wife and he, he was threatening my wife to cut her throat and all this kind of stuff. And I had to get my wife and my family out of here, which they're now hid away in, in a nice little spot. And, uh, you know, I'm nervous that one of these days these people are going to send someone that's going to be able to uh, to do something. And it's, it's got me in a hard spot. She has got the run of this town that, that I'm in. Uh, they sit down at a certain place every night and they're forever uh, hounding people, coming up with all these false accusations that this one's driving drunk, this one's... And meanwhile, they're sitting down in this spot drinking all kinds of beer and smoking all kinds of dope and whatever, right? Okay, uh, so... I feel I feel it's just a ploy now that they can they know where the police are at all times so they can do what they like. You know what I'm saying? But she, she has gone after me through the Facebook community channel and I was talking to the guy who owns the community channel and I kept repeating after. And I, at the time, I didn't have a Facebook. We were just getting sent this... Uh, to my phone. Uh, it's unreal the way that this woman has wrapped uh, RNC around her fingers. One of the death threats that I had was an action, you know, it, it, he actually was on the way here and uh, he was stopped and there's been no charges, no nothing. I've got, I've got these three people up on peace bonds in October and we're f- kind of worried that uh, what the repercussions of if we go do this court. So my, me and my family are to our wits end with this. And, uh, you know, like my wife is a sick woman, and they know it. And it's not very good for what they're doing. And I've been in the hospital sick with this. And we're, we just don't know where to go. You know, like, we can't afford a lawyer anymore. And, you know, like, I have everything. You know, people started sending me stuff starting February. And uh, I have enough to uh, prove my case. But it's, uh, we're frightened to death that if we go to court, there'll be repercussions after because it it includes one local drug dealer here. Well, I mean, listen, yeah. it's just nuts. By you know, like it's it's been steady since we met this woman, and we discovered who she was and what she was. We walked away from her, and you don't walk away from this person unscathed. She has absolutely ruined my life. She sent the cops to the house saying I tried to kill her while I was driving a dump truck. And listen, I've been down here for 15 or 20 years, and everybody knows my drive is impeccable. Well, I wouldn't really know what to say, because if if you have fear of retribution, then far be it for me to suggest you do something that might put you, in your own words, in harm's way. So I don't know. I think it's terrible what's happened to you. Not that I even fully understand exactly what's going on here. So We cannot get the RNC to respond. You mentioned her name, and it's like they, or, or my name. It's, they don't show up. I had a fellow uh, a couple of weeks ago when I came, took, I took my grandson for a ride on the bike, and this guy, one of their pals, tried to run me off the road with my grandson on a motorcycle. You know, I was on the motorcycle ahead of him, and he passed me in the same lane. And uh, when he did, I don't know if he made a swing at me, but he, he gave me the finger. That's no big deal. And my grand, seven-year-old grandson said, uh, why did he give us the finger, Poppy? But my grandson didn't realize that I was almost at the end of the fog line getting ready to go in the ditch that this guy was trying to push us in. And he's also one one of the one of the people that bodies around with this woman. They got the run of the law, as far as I'm concerned, and the law is that confused that they're after making that many screw ups and going to that many people's houses because of this woman and her friends. That they're for a loss of what they can do. Well, I, you know, uh, again, I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but if there's a fear that someone may uh, escalate their 
issues with you, then I'm not going to suggest anything because I'd hate to be the person that puts you in further uh, peril because I said, well, get a restraining order or whatever the case may be. So, boy, oh, boy. That's another thing. Any time that our RNC come to your house, that's the first thing out of their mind. It's like they don't have any power of investigation whatsoever. You know, this incident that you were talking about with this dump truck, my dump truck that I was driving, uh, they two ladies came and, and they they never even talked to me. It was four days after before I found out this was on, this was on the go. You know, because like they said, they dropped it. You know, there was no there was no justification for what they were doing because the spot they were in is a dangerous spot and it's narrow and there was a lot of potholes in the road. So he had no other choice but to slow down when I'm coming with a load on. You know, I right. There's, there's a maritime one of the poles there where where the, the Florida truck got tried to get away from her car there in the winter, and uh, you know, like I was in that exact same spot. It's a spot that when you come up over the hill, you're in them no matter who drives, and you can come down here and drive up over that hill, and you'll by the time you get to the top of the hill, you realize you're in the middle of the road. Now yeah. there's a line there now, but there wasn't a line there before. Listen, the best I can do is uh, hope that they run out of steam with whatever vendetta they've got going here and hope you're going to be okay. So I, I'm not even 100% sure what we're talking about of co- and how would I know, but uh, I'm going to wish you well and hopefully if things change or a restraining order can be achieved, whatever it takes for you and your family to get out of their crosshairs, uh, obviously that's the best I can offer this morning. Oh, it is totally impossible. We're after trying everything in the world to to make her pull in her horns, but uh, her horns are out. And, you know, like I'm not the only one she's doing this to. There's another gentleman just down the road that uh, she got a restraining order against him because he did something, you know. Yeah. And and as far as I was there and, and, and the, the RNC, they never even talked to anybody that was over there. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know what to say. It's locked them up and put them in the car and took on one on with them. I understand. Paul, I, I really don't know what else to tell you because I'm not sure what's going on and I'd hate to make it worse. So we'll have to leave it at that for today. Yes, sir. Right on. Well, at least now everybody knows it's out there. And the truth is the truth. Is the truth. You know, I've got all the okay. truth. So I wish you well. I'm just out of money for a lawyer now, so I have to do it myself. Again, there is a group out there called Plea, and they might be able to give you some free legal advice, but that's, uh, I don't know if you're interested in following that particular possibility either. I can give you a quick number. This is called the Public Legal Information Association of NL. They might be able to give you some guidance. Yes, well, that'd be good. Uh, Did you have the number? I do. It's 722. 722, yeah. 2643. 2643. Anyway, Patty, I was a little nervous starting out, but, you know, it is what it is. I wish and, you good uh, luck. Give those guys a try. The name is Plea, is it? Uh, Plea, and that's an acronym. It's P-L-A-I-N, the Public Legal Information Association of NL. Perfect. Okay. Thanks for your help there, brother. You're welcome. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Whew. Let's go to line number four. Gilbert, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. Good Monday morning to you as well. Thanks. I've been waiting a little while now and after listening to that caller. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm weakened. But uh, I was weakened there uh, last week, so I just phoned to uh, get this off my mind. And uh, I I read uh, that uh, our provincial government gives uh, $1 million to the abortion clinic in St. John's every year. Would you have any idea if that's true? Yeah, I believe that's a pretty accurate number. That would be the Athena Clinic, right? Yeah, Uh, $1 million. I can't believe it. I'm trying to believe it. I'm trying to focus. I'm trying to... What do they say? Uh, 
process this. And uh, now after listening to that caller, oh, I, I, I hope the Lord will help him. But I can't believe that our province is giving all that money for babies. Like, I'm wondering uh, how much a baby is worth at the Athena Clinic. Would, would they... How many would be killed there uh, in a year? Would you have any idea? Would it be 100, say? I'm just guessing. I don't really know what the numbers would be at the clinic, to be honest with you. But, of course, the the money that the government gives to the Athena Clinic is inside the uh, envelope of what is almost $4 billion of health care because reproductive rights and access to abortions is part of health care in this country, right? Yeah, I understand that. I understand that, and that's what saddens me. It's part of health care. They call it health care. When I complained uh, once or twice uh, through an email to uh, one of our members, uh, that's what I was told. They're going to stand up for women's health care. But, of course, uh, my opinion, I just hopefully it's okay to give my opinion. My opinion is murder. It's, it's killing babies. I, I just listened to you with a previous caller talking about your sons, and, and I could hear the pride coming through. And uh, we're at the stage now in our lives where we got five grandchildren. And I've been, well, I've been waiting all morning. I've been thinking about when they were babies. They're, they're all gone to the mainland, of course. Uh, the university, the school, and their parents had to leave uh, Newfoundland for their work. But uh, when they were young, I can remember rolling on the floor with them, the same as you with your babies, no doubt, and going to McDonald's and going to church, doing all the different things, and they're happy, smiling. And I just can't take it in that in what we're supposed to be a civilized province, a civilized country, we're, we're supporting killing babies. Because, uh, am I correct? A baby inside the mother's womb, it's a baby. And a few seconds later, a minute later, when the baby comes out, it's oh, a baby there looking at you, giggling, smiling. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I just, I, I'm a parent, right? So I understand yeah. the, the thought process. All the same, I am... I'm not afraid to uh, say that I'm actually pro-choice. I think a woman deserves the right to choose. And there's plenty of unwanted pregnancies, and people can talk about access to birth control and what have you. And technically speaking, and I'm not trying to be engaged in any sort of argument here because I'm not interested in arguing, is, you know, it's a fetus until born. And, you know, late-term abortions are extremely rare in this country. So if it wasn't for a regulated, safe, healthy place for this medical procedure to take place, you know, we've seen what that means in, in other jurisdictions where they don't allow those end of pregnancy uh, procedures and it becomes really quite dangerous so you know I, I support the women's right to choose through conversation with their partner and their doctor and a counselor however they arrive at that decision uh, that's up that's between themselves and their family I suppose that's how I view it that's how I treat it for me it wasn't an option because we wanted to have our children and that's where yeah. we are so uh, again Wonderful. I think it's a very personal thing where it's kind of not even really my business when it's a health care-related procedure in this country that is funded and supported by the law and the uh, departments of health, I think that people should be able to do that if that's what they think is right for them. Sure, I, I heard you I heard you say that before and express your opinion, sure. But I just wanted to, and I knew you were going to say most of that, but I just wanted to say that I don't agree with the law, of course. And that's fine, uh, I make, understand. Ma- yeah, yeah, making a law that actually fetus, baby, whatever we want to call that, that... Uh, that uh, from the inception is a baby, the start of life, and uh, I would think that our government wants to support life, but in this case, in this area, they're killing life. So I just want to go on record as saying, uh, you know, let the, as the Bible says, let the little children come on to me, let them come, and there are groups, I understand there are groups uh, in our province 
who are just waiting to take a baby who is not wanted or can't be looked after by his mother. They're willing and wanting to take it. Uh, that's not an it, but take that child and look after it and see that it's well cared for. So, you know, I just I just wanted to say that, and I, I can't believe it. The, the government, um, the news doesn't report. I don't, you know, I'm not stuck to the news, but I don't hear them reporting anything about the babies dying. But with the other different reasons for death, which is terrible, which are terrible, uh, you know, we hear that all the time. I don't want to go giving any examples. But we never hear anything about killing babies, feed, killing fetuses. And uh, everything is silent on that front. And I, I don't know why it's silent. I'm hoping some people are listening and are going to phone in or text in and say, yes, I'm for life. Whatever the reasons for abortion are, I'm for life. The Listen fact of the matter is there's tons of unwanted children born in this country, even with access to uh, an abortion uh, countrywide or nationwide. Uh, we don't do enough to uh, on that front necessarily. But we have had calls many, many times over the years as I've sat in this chair. A couple come to mind, Colette Fleming, uh, a lady named Margaret who calls. They, they share the same opinion you do. There are people that we see protesting outside the clinic, even though there's been an expanded buffer zone there so that people aren't harassed or yelled at or whatever as they go in for counseling and or the procedure. So I, th this is always going to be a very contentious issue. You know, it's one of the deal breakers or makers in the United States. I mean, it's that's a big part of the political ideology where people uh, choose to mark their ex on a ballot. In this country, not so much. It's really polling over the years has been pretty consistent in Canadian support for the right to choose. Now, that's not to say or diminish the fact that there's many people like-minded with you, Gilbert. Uh, I don't happen to be one of them, but that's nothing personal. That's just our own opinion. And you're welcome to have shared yours on the show this morning. Would you like to say anything else? No, that's it. I just want to say thank you, Patty, for uh, treating me uh, so kindly there. And uh, like I said, I just wanted to vent, and uh, I didn't know where else to vent. Only, uh, yeah. only in your ear and on uh, the open line. And we can disagree. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, we can disagree and disagree vehemently, which we do, but oh, that yeah. doesn't need to be personal. And I appreciate you making time for the show. Right on. Thanks, Patty. Thanks, bye -bye. Gilbert. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, there's, you know, for in some corners, it becomes... Okay. It's an emotional conversation. It's an emotional issue. Gilbert and I disagree, but that doesn't mean I have any need to blister him or blast him or vice versa, which he had the opportunity to do that uh, to me or at me or whatever the right phraseology is on that front. But those are tricky conversations. It doesn't mean we're afraid of them. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number six. Take a more to the NDP member elected in serving the folks of Lab West. That's Jordan Brown. Good morning, Jordan. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So I saw your post yesterday about Suicide Awareness Day and some of the activities that you had going. And, you know, I suppose we should be having that conversation repeatedly as we talk about all of these tricky, emotional uh, matters here on the program. But this morning we wanted to focus in on, well, and you can talk about whatever you like, obviously, but the announcement made last week about a new online voucher for uh, an upgrade or a change to the Medical Transportation Assistance Program, where now folks in Labrador Grenfell Health are going to be able to apply for a $1,000 voucher for the cost of their first eligible flight. You, I think, have given it half marks. Where does it come up short? So, first of all, it says online voucher. Uh, so you go on, and it's just a PDF. You can fill it online. You still have to print it, scan it, and email it to MTAP to get your number. So it's it's partially online. You can't submit online. So that's just one thing, clarification there when they say online voucher. So there, that's one thing. Another thing is too is it's only for the first thousand dollars for your first flight, and then you get a re, uh, you know that's seventy five percent of everything after that. Um, and for an example, is if you're if you have to take your child out to the Janeway. 
that's over three thousand dollars for yourself and a and a uh, and you know your child. So you, you know you're you're paying over three thousand dollars in airfare. Um, so you still you know that seventy five percent after the thousand dollars for each flight. You still have to pay. And then if you have to make multiple flights, so say if you're a cancer patient or something, making multiple flights a year, you know, you're not you're not getting your flights really covered. You're only getting a percentage of your flights covered for thereafter. You still have to pay to access health care. So this is where I'm having a thing is we missed the mark. We missed the mark of that, you know, this is about, you know, free and fair access to health care that we, you know, we're all entitled to in this country. But if you live in a rural or remote place, you know, like said Labrador or rural parts of Newfoundland, you're still having to pay to get to health care. We have a model in this country for rural remote places for accessing health care in our neighbor Quebec. They no one pays no there's no percentile returns or anything like that. If they have to be in an appointment in, uh, in in an urban area, they have a system set up where their doctors put it into a system. The patient calls a 1-800 number with the uh, Quebec Health Authority that they're in, and a flight is arranged for them to go out to uh, to the specialist they need to see. There's no credit card numbers exchanged. There's no nothing like this. It's just access to health care. We missed the mark on that in this province. We had an opportunity to do that in this announcement, and we failed to do it. Okay, so in Quebec, it, it's it's like that for every referral, regardless of what it is, regardless of how frequently you may have to travel from whatever part of the province to whatever center you're being referred to. Is it is carte blanche? Yep, carte blanche. So if you're in, a, in an area that is considered rural or remote, so I take a good example here is our, 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 our cousins over here in Fairmont, Quebec. Um, if they need to go out for anything, cancer treatment, anything like that, they have a system set up where they have set up they call they get on a plane and they send out to uh, to wherever they need to go because they understand they're in a rural remote area of Quebec we can we can have a system like that we're so close we're at 75% for everything after $1000 like we're you know like we're getting into like peanuts here at this point in time that we could have had a system set up that nobody has to pay to access healthcare but we're still having to pay to access healthcare this is the problem that we, that Labradorians have been trying to say for for at least the last eight years of this liberal government, we've been saying, make the system fair so we don't have to pay to access health care, but we're still required to pay to access it. Now, I'm not trying to put, look, when we talk about health, it's important to focus in on health, but the reality is we have to focus in on the cost of delivering health care. And in this province of about 520,000 people, it's about $4 billion. So it's a huge, huge amount of money inside an almost $9 billion budget. Not to put a price tag on anybody's health or access access to health care, but do you have an understanding what the uh, MTAP program costs per annum, what this change would mean? Because now you say we're basically down to peanuts to pick up the rest of the associated travel costs. Do you have some numbers for context? So, so right now, like you said, they added an extra million dollars to, to roll up this 75% thing. So they added an extra million dollars to do this extra that we're going to go see there now. So a million dollars added onto the... 30, I think it is, that the program is roughly about 30, that the program covers right now. So it's just a million dollars more, and now we're having, you know, this voucher program, and and now we're going to 75% reimbursement uh, for uh, thereafter from 50% because it's, this is basically a revamping of what we used to call the 50% prepaid program. So this, there was a pro, this program already existed. Right. They, they just tuned it a little bit to be more of a voucher than, than a, uh, and give it a, a, a stream. Uh, they, they say they're going to give it a streamlined uh, time frame. 
we'll see when that happens. Um, this is what it is. So they only added a million dollars to the program to get this far. So we're, 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 we're there. We're basically almost there to where it actually can deliver for Labradorians and rural Newfoundlanders. So why could they just go the extra step and just, you know, try to do something that actually is meaningful? And, and you know, you know we had that announcement of well-being week. Well, you know, well-being is also having access to health care and, and, and timely health care. So if we're going to, you know, play this game of, of, of how we're going to get there and how we're going to get people to think, here's another suggestion that I made years ago that could have, you know, saved a bit of money. Why are we traveling to the specialists? Why don't they make the specialists travel to us? You know, do a rotation. So that's the other question is, we're going to send all these people out to see specialists. You know, a lot of them times the specialists could come up here on clinic and they don't do that. So instead of having 30 people from Labrador travel to St. John's, why don't they make one person from St. John's travel to Labrador? So in, in reality, that could make up the difference of what it costs. But instead, we're going to, you know, make 30 people travel to the island. Yeah, but of course, it wouldn't just be the case of one healthcare professional traveling to Labrador because we might have the, inside that envelope of 30 people that you mentioned, that might be six different specialties uh, across six different disciplines and who knows who's, who'd oh, have to see who. So it's not, it's not reinventing the wheel, Patty. They did it. 20 years ago, they did it. Oh, yeah. And they took it away. And they took it away. So, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you an example now. My daughter, every year, has to see an endocrinologist. Every single year, me and my daughter, we fly out or drive out to Newfoundland so she can see her endocrinologist. While we're in that clinic, there's other people from Labrador waiting with us to see that same endocrinologist. And we walk in, she you know, does her te- a few little tests, and we walk out. It's about 15-minute appointment, but we have to do it every single year. And it's fine. I understand. I have to do this every year for my daughter. But at the same time, there is no reason why an endocrinologist couldn't travel and do a round in Goose Bay and Labrador West. There's no reason why that can happen. But yet, instead, they make us, and I'm, I'm sitting in that wait room with other Labradorians for a point where we all flew down for. Say with a cardiologist. There used to be a cardiologist used to come up here and go to Goose Bay and, and uh, Lab West to do uh, regular checkups for, you know, their, uh, their, uh, their patients. Not anymore. You rarely see a cardiologist come up to Labrador anymore. Instead, and that's one of my biggest people that come to my office looking for help, is actually cardio- people with cardiology patients looking to get out. Why isn't it that we're, we're looking at, you know, more traveling doctors? Instead of now, we're going to, you know, and it's fine. Like you said, they're going to put money into MTAP and do that. But it could be a savings on MTAP if they, figure, if they start getting actual specialists to travel up here for clinic. Fair enough. And I suppose we're long overdue for another chat with the minister responsible. And so maybe, and again, I really don't like putting price tags on health, but unfortunately when we talk about anything under the sun, we also talk about how and where money is spent and the rationale for these types of decisions. So your thought about sending people, or pardon me, sending healthcare professionals, doctors included, up and specialists included, up versus people traveling down. Fair enough, and I'll see if there's any answer or reaction that I can get from the minister. We should line that update for maybe sometime later this week because there's a never-ending list of questions that we can put forward to Minister Osborne. Would you like to add anything else or maybe another question you'd like me to ask to the minister on your behalf? Well, you know, it, this is the thing. We're, we're talking about rural and, and health, you know, and we have one of the, you know, the best medical schools in, in, in eastern Canada. And, you know, we, they actually have, you know, a rural medicine se- uh, division within there. You know, these are the things that we should have been looking at 20 years ago, 15 years ago, on how do we access rural health. But instead, we, we, we are going, like, you know, it, 
MTAP is great for when it needs to be used for certain things. There is things I understand that you can't travel to Labrador. Understandable. But at the same time, there's no reason for the mundane and the regular follow-ups can't be done in clinic up here with a traveling specialist because that would save MTAP money and save people the, you know, their health at the same time. We can, you know, then those who need to be in St. John's for cancer and surgeries and treatments like that, they can use the MTAP more effectively in the sense like, you know, like the Quebec system where no one has to worry. They just call a number, get booked, get to St. John's. That would be the more simplest way to do things. But right now, at this time, we're, we're planning on sending so many people to St. John's, there's no need of it. There's no need to send that many people to St. John's for treatment. There is a way to bring rural medicine to Labrador. I appreciate the time, Jordan. I'll put it on my list. Thanks, you. Take care, Patty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jordan Brown, he's the NDP member for Lab West. Let's take a break. When we come back, education, electric vehicles, and whatever you want to talk about, don't go away. Back to the program. Uh, let's go to line number one. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Um, hey, Patty. Uh, Hi. Uh, I'm caller. I'm a bit nervous, so bear with me. Take your time. Um, I've listened to your show from time to time, but more recently, I have uh, more time on my hands, so I've been listening to it more often. And I, I got to say, I like your uh, like your show. It's good. It's great. Um, I want to talk about the transgender issue that's going on today. Okay. Now, I'm not against it, and I'm not for it. I don't disagree with it. And I don't disagree with it. And I feel that's the problem. It's like the climate change, for an example. It's either you're for it or you're against it. I'm not racist. I'm not transphobic. I'm not anti-gay. But I feel that's what I am because what? I agree with these people. These people? Like I would, not these people, the transgender community. Okay. Which, like, just for context, the transgender population of the country for ages of uh, 15 and over accounts for 0.3% of the population. And yet, there is some seriously hyped-up rhetoric surrounding anything to do with trans. It, it's gone from, you know, a conversation that no one could have. It was taboo. It was in the shadows. It was in the darks. Now we've got promises proposing legislation about pronouns and everything on it. I mean, it's just wild what's become of this conversation. I agree. I mean, it's so broad. Like, it, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Like I said, I mean, I would never hurt or undermine anybody's beliefs. But, like, I don't – like, it's such a big topic. Like, for kids these days, I'm just – like, I'm a young, younger guy. I, I have a young family. I have a, a little boy in grade three, and I have a little girl just starting kindergarten. So, like, I'm concerned, like – I don't know what extent it is being taught in school. Like, I don't know if, pe- like, I, I know people that have kids that have come home from school that don't know if they're a boy or a girl. I mean, really? I, I feel that, I feel that's like a, a big problem. I mean, you. That's not how it's being taught. I've looked through the outcomes. You know, some of what people tell me is being taught in school is just not being taught in school. Uh, I have a grade six teacher for a wife. I've seen some curriculum. Not that she gives me anything because I try to stay out of her uh, her business. So I go through different no, no, avenues. And some of what people are, is, are telling me that they're teaching and they're showing and they're saying is just a real exaggeration because this conversation has been really ramping up to some pretty dangerous areas for. Uh, 
I'd, for some people, I'm not hearing any danger from your uh, comments uh, this morning, but you see them no, and I see them. No. I mean, it's absolute madness how some of this has unfolded or it, it's not only unfolded, but completely unraveled. I agree 100%. And I mean, I'm just thinking about the poor kids. I mean, you can tell a kid anything. You know, they're going to believe it. I mean, I, like, I'm just wondering, like, like I'm afraid that it's taken over the system in school, for an example. Like, like I feel that they need to be taught history, like money, climate change, these these issues. And I feel that this transgender issue is just taking everything over. And like I said, I'm not against it. I, I'm I'm really not. My kids, if my three year old and my my um, if my going grade three came home and my little girl from kindergarten came home, if they have these issues, I would accept them 100%. But, but, but I mean, here, here's, here's the issue. For me, and your opinion can be offered no problem, is no one's saying to a child, hey, Johnny, are you really a Johnny or do you think you might be a Jane? What's being talked about in school is that if people have questions of their own, here's maybe how they should understand it. Here's what they might be able to do. And when we talk about sexual education, you know, the concept is, well, let the parents decide. Fair enough, but not everyone has that type of relationship with their child. Not every parent wants to talk about sex and what's happening in the world with their child. They try to shield their children from things they don't understand or things they don't like or things they hate. So unless inside an educational setting, because they're not saying, hey, go home and rightfully question whether or not you're a little boy or a little girl, because that's not what they're telling them. They're saying, if this is something that you feel or if this is something that you hear your friends feeling, here's how there's, this is a way to think about it and talk about it not please go home and tell tell your mom uh, mom I don't want a new pair of jeans I want a dress because that's not what they're saying and you know how uh, badly this is unraveled because I think there's a time and a place and an age-appropriate discussion to be had in school on these matters I've got people coming at me a million miles an hour telling me that I'm a pedophile and I'm a groomer I mean like how outrageous do things have to become before we can press the reset button and get to back to some mature conversation about important matters? Just imagine, because I don't flip out when there's some discussion about sexuality in school, that people are actually calling me a pedophile. Like, I mean, can you believe that? Like, that's how I bad know. this conversation is. It's just, it's so ugly that I don't even know how we get back to some sort of normalcy about this stuff. Exactly. And, I, like, I have that same issue. Like, like I said, I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I mean, I was brought up you are you are you can be who you want to be i mean it's just taking everything over like i'll just give you an example like uh, trans in sports like uh, i'm not suggesting i have an idea how we should do it i'm just like this is the way that the world is going right now like a transgender person in sports for an example royley Gaines, a swimmer down in the u.s she was a biological male so the biological male was allowed to go in the girls' changing room, and male genitalia was allowed to change in that dressing room with all the rest of the girls and actually won the competition. So, I mean, uh, to me, I don't think that's fair. I mean, like, when do we draw the line? I mean, I have a little girl, and I, my kids are in sports, and I'm sorry, a biological male is stronger than a girl. Like, if you put a girl up against a man swimming, the man is going to win nine times out of ten. 
Maybe. Will they always win? No. Well, I, I think the sports the sports conversation is vastly different than the K to twelve system uh, discussion on this topic. I think, for me, I don't know how many people are going to transition formally in this world so they can win a, win a swimming race. Has it ever happened where someone thought, "Well, this gives me an opportunity to be a champion"? Maybe I would I would suggest that that's extremely rare. And uh, for that part of the conversation, I think the only people that can make those decisions are the participants and the organizers of whatever sport we're talking about. There was a story that raised the ire of many people a couple of weeks ago where a trans athlete won a weightlifting competition, right? So exactly. that, comp- that conversation belongs at the sport level with the participants because I don't think we need politicians and legislation to get involved in that kind of stuff, to be honest. But I now agree. when we talk I about K-12, it's a different discussion. Okay, no, I, I just use that as an example. It's like the transgender in whole, you know. Like, I agree with the politicians and this is not politics. I mean, this should have the election in 2025. I can bitch you any money. This is going to be a big issue, and it shouldn't be. I mean, we're in Canada. We live in. I mean, we're like the U.S. We got freedom of speech. We can be who we want to be. I mean, sort of. Look, the also here is that it is well understood that. You are at heightened risk. Look, I'm, I'm old enough that in my lifetime, you could be arrested for being gay. I mean, we've come a long, long way, but it is well documented. Issues about the potential to be the victim of violence if you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So when and if that's true, and it is, then unless we talk about it and unless people are realistic and pragmatic and honest about it, we're just going to create a landscape that continues to be unsafe. So I don't know how that's in anybody's best interest, but now we've got politicians amping up and ramping up for the purpose of simply getting a vote. They might not even believe in some of the stuff they say, but they know that there's a certain segment of society that will be willing to vote for them on a social issue and nothing else. So you're right. The next election will include a lot of social stuff when basically me, you, everybody listening, trans or otherwise, you want to be safe, you want to have quality health care, you want a job, you want to be uh, feel uh, respected, and you want to be able to contribute to society, and you want all the other issues to be shelved because the societal conversation when people talk about division in the in the society it's not about the haves and the have-nots and economic standing like it used to be it's about where you stand on the social issues and for the life of me i don't know how that gets prioritized like just look at the most recent political uh, convention over the weekend not one single policy uh, agenda that was voted on by the members about housing but plenty of stuff about social issues because that's where we get down to the brass tacks of who's who and what's what and who you're willing to vote for and why because in the world of economics and jobs and taxes and health care and justice there's not a whole lot of difference between them so they will pick on the social issues because that's the dividing line that's where they can decide whether or not they can get your donation and get your vote is it is it helpful i don't think so but that's where we are and it's all about where you can get a vote it's not about what's right yeah i know exactly and it's so sad because you know we're living in an era these days. I mean, things are changing, and I mean, you kind of got to adapt or, or die. And I mean, oh, I understand that, but it's the poor kids that are going to be. They're torn, you know. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I just feel that. And like I said, I love everybody equal. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't no. matter where you come from, what gender you are. That doesn't matter. But like this, this is just taking everything over. Like we're missing, and so many other other topics that are important you know it's it's just 
I just think it's a, a minimal amount of time, attention, focus, or conversation in schools on this issue. It, it, you know, and now because there's a extended pride events and days and weeks and months, because of that, then all of a sudden people think that's all anybody talks about in school. But I've looked at some of the outcomes and some of the curriculum on this stuff. It's such a minuscule part of what's going on in school. It really but is. But it is. It is minimal, though, is it? Because like I, I'm just not aware. Like I, I don't know. Like say what age they start at, or like say is it one hour a week, one hour a day? Like you know, like like us as parents, and like like I want to be a good parent. I want to know what my what my uh, kids are being taught in school, and it's not just this issue. I mean, and you can find out. You can ask your teacher. Right. I mean, like what age do they start? Grade six, grade nine, grade three. You know, it's. Like, like it's cloudy for me. Like, I, I just, I just see my kids. They're so innocent. I mean, they're not aware of any of this stuff, and I just don't. I'm scared that is, you know, it's just creating more, more things for them. You know, is they have not enough struggles, enough things to deal with now, and like this situation is just so broad, so vast. It's just, it's sad. It's sad. I appreciate the time this morning. I'm a bit late for the news. Thanks for uh, calling. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, tricky conversations again, but hey, <laughs> it's what's happening, right? The Those types of social issues have risen to the top of the priority list in some corners of the political spectrum. You know, again, you'll see changes in polling because, you know, as much as, say, for instance, a hard and fast conservative supporter would say, how dare you, every single election cycle, talking to the liberals and their key supporters, how dare you bring up issues regarding social matters like abortion or what have you, da 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 how can we dare talk about that? Yet, my goodness, social issues pretty much dominate a lot of political rhetoric these days, a lot of the to and fro, the thrust and parry. You know, is that being helpful to anyone at any time? Probably not. Issues that were already tricky to navigate, issues that were already contentious and already putting people in pretty dangerous predicaments, some of the way that the conversations are being had, especially on the national front, is doing anything but helping. Uh, let's take a break. Larry, you stay right there and talk about electric vehicles right after this. Welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Larry. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. Uh, I'd, I'd like to bring it to the attention of the public uh, what I feel is a, a big thing missing with electric vehicles that are going to be sold in Canada is that they don't have built-in solar panels on them. <laughs> uh, how ludicrous is that? <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, didn't mean to giggle. Uh, no, I know, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, really. we've got the technology for years. You've got little rovers on the moon and that that run entirely by an electric uh, vehicle with a solar panel. Well, well, they have batteries, too, you know, for harnessing whatever well, power, however it's generated. That's what uh, charges your batteries, your solar panel. Yes. Um, and, of course, not everywhere you go at every time of the day where people might be traveling, where they're traveling, might that be an effective backup system. But, I mean, the battery technology itself is improving dramatically over the years. I hadn't really thought about uh, other ways to charge the vehicle. I mean, like even in auto racing, they can recharge the battery simply with the momentum of the vehicle. So I don't know how that's incorporated in an electric vehicle or an electric bike or anything else, but the way that they're being designed and built and the technology behind it is getting better. At some point, I'll probably have one if for nothing else the cost of operations yes but even then you're, you're, okay you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to have a charger installed in your home if you want to charge it from home 
Yeah. And that, that means tapping into your, to your, to your panel box, putting, putting in a, a special items, that's going to cost a lot of money. Every way around it, which, which is fine. But, I mean, why not have a, a simple a generic solar panel built into these cars, half in the roof or half in the trunk, uh, and then you get sunny days, your car is charging up. Now, I may not yeah. charge it up 100%, but still it could save you money. Yeah, I don't know if that's ever going to be part of the EV world. It's still such a minuscule uh, portion of the provincial uh, automobile fleet. Even on the uh, the international stage, it's still somewhere like uh, 3 or 4% of the vehicles in operation on the roads. The one thing that we're going to have to wrap our mind around is if there's going to be all these transitional tools, whether it be electric vehicles or how you heat your home or how you heat your building, is what we're going to have to spend for the transmission requirements, what we're going to have to have for in the form of electrical engineers and all those things because some of these things are coming I think it's going to be a lot slower than people think at this moment in time because there's lots of conversation about it but like even in this province it's a pretty small number I see more and more around a friend of mine just bought one and they absolutely love it so you know I don't know how it's going to look for how they charge them in the future but I never really thought about having a panel as part of the rooftop yeah, I mean, it's a simple place to put it. The sun is shining out, and, and she even if she only had charged her vehicle, well, well, great. You could probably get two weeks out of a charge, and then you'd have to go to the station and recharge or use your home one. But people, I, I don't think the common man realizes this is going to be a huge expense uh, on person. And if they think the, the, the gas companies got you by the throat, the, the utility company will get you by the throat. It is the the lady who's in charge of uh, Newfoundland Hydro has already stated that when when more of these vehicles come in line and people use home chargers, there will be a premium rate charge, say between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. when people get home from work. She's already letting you know that hey, this is going to cost you more now. We've tried to paint the complete picture here on the show. I've, at least I've made the effort, I think, because we've had people on, like John Seary, who's the head of the uh, association regarding electric vehicles in the province. I can't remember exactly what it's called, to talk about cost. Upfront cost for purchase, which is still a little bit out of reach for many people in the country, even though some of the subsidies make it a little bit more affordable or manageable for Canadians. We've talked about cost of installation for what it be the, how you charge at your own home and what it costs to operate and over what distance you can travel so you know for me it's not a matter of promoting or uh, can condoning or uh, trying to be opposed to anything I just try to get the info out there people can make up their own mind it's not my money it's your money you can buy whatever you want right uh, yes. but yeah we just try to paint the picture where things when they're when they're different and they're new and they're expanding then you know, I just try to get the info out there. I, look, I don't care what people drive, right? Well, actually, that's not true. But if you want to buy an electric vehicle or you don't, well, that's up to you. No, that's right. But, but I think, uh, you know, just my personal opinion, uh, it should be so fair to people to, to finally give them a break that, hey, look, we've got a panel here that you only need to go to a charging station once every two weeks, not every second day. And that's what's going to happen, you know. You're going to charge a vehicle every second day. Yeah, and I guess it depends on how you drive too, right? I mean, for the little commuter uh, car or the person that simply goes from their home in the East End over to Sobeys and then goes to work in the middle of town, their concerns will be vastly different from someone who's got a one-hour commute each way uh, every day or does extensive travel on the highway. That's a whole different kettle of fish. For some, yeah. it's ideal, right? The person that I know that just recently bought one, they were a two-car family. 
family. The uh, One of them drives an SUV. The other has this new electric vehicle, and they use it for what? Zipping around town. That's it. And when they yeah. do anything else, they take the other car. So, yeah. At some point, I'm going to look at it because the cost of operation is what makes it most attractive to me. We can talk about emissions and all that stuff, and it's all part of it. But the cost to operate an electric vehicle compared to my uh, internal combustion-powered vehicle, they're saving money. That looks good to me because I haven't got much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, but I think, you know, uh, years down the road, like you say, when, when the final switch is not going to come soon, but when the final switch is there and everything has to go electric, uh, I think it's, it's going to cost people more than their gas. Uh, well, it depends. Uh, right now, upfront costs, even at your home, you don't need to do a whole lot of really expensive upgrades at home. You, you, you really don't. Uh, and it depends on the type of charging you'll be doing at home. But... I'm happy to try to put down, okay, purchase price, you know, comparable vehicles, size, the amount of people that it can carry, that kind of stuff. Here's what it costs to get into this one. Here's what it costs to get into that one. And people make up their own mind. Right? Oh, yes. I appreciate the call this morning, Larry. Would you like to say anything else? Uh, no, no, that's about it, buddy. Thanks for taking it. And, Anytime. You know, I'd like to hear other people's uh, opinion on it, actually. Yeah, well, they're welcome to call, and you know what? Yeah, when, always, we, yeah. when we talk about peak demand, that's something that in jurisdictions that have huge demand on the grid, that's been the case forever and a day. Where there's they charge a certain price at this hour, from this hour to this hour, so people will be encouraged in the effort to save money and to take stress off the grid by turning on the dishwasher when they go to bed, as opposed to right after supper, to doing their laundry. You know, not in the peak demand times where people are are cooking and those types of things. So this is not new. That's going to be the case regardless of if it's about electric vehicles or otherwise, where stresses on the grid are what they are. I mean, that's what they do in California. That's what they do in Nova Scotia. There's, I think there's parts of Ontario where they have the floating charge per kilowatt hour as well. So that's going to be part of it here, no doubt about it. Larry, appreciate the time. Okay, thanks, Betty. Take good care of yourself. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, uh, let's go ahead and break this minute. Okay, let's keep going. Well, it was usually break time, but I've been told to move on to line number one and say good morning to Mr. Crosby. Chess. Morning, Chess. You're on the air. Well, thanks, Patty, and uh, good day to you. We haven't spoken for a little while, but uh, right now I'm calling on behalf of my mother, Jane Crosby, who's just brought a book out. And, uh, Patty, it's based on uh, notes she kept or a diary she kept from the 1960s onward. After uh, my father, John Crosby, he went into politics in the 60s with Joey Smallwood. And... Uh, Mom's mother, Margaret, suggested she ought to keep this diary, and lo and behold, that's what she did. And the book is called The Horse Doctor's Daughter. The Horse Doctor's Daughter. Incredible. Well, well, a, lot of a lot of people these days won't know what that means. So uh, uh, just to clarify, my mother's father was Jack Furno, who trained in Guelph at the veterinary school in Guelph in uh, the 1930s during the great depression and he came back here and for a long time was the only qualified veterinarian uh, in the province and in those days practice was a large animal practice horses and cows and such and so uh, this is where the title comes from the horse doctor's daughter Fascinating. So hopefully we have an opportunity and I think that's what's coming up next is we'll have a chance to speak with uh, your mother you bet. Uh, before uh, uh, before the call with you, I was just asking her what stands out most vividly in her mind in uh, this particular book. 
And um, uh, she thinks that it was the period of time in 1969 when my father, John Crosby, challenged uh, Premier Smallwood, Joey Smallwood, uh, for the leadership of the Liberal Party. Dad, at that point, was a liberal. And uh, Mom remembers a uh, piece of ditty or a song that a good friend of theirs, Jim Roberts, wrote, and she'd probably like to quote that. Uh, she has a little bit of a speech impediment, but I'm sure you'll be able to handle uh, what she's saying, and uh, you can clarify any words, or I'll clarify as she speaks. So I'm putting on my mother now, Jane Crosby. Thank you, Jess. Hello. I didn't have the nerve to phone in, phone in to you, but I listened to you very gently, of course, as do everyone else, I think, and they enjoy you. So, Chess uh, has helped me now. Well, I'm really glad you made time for the show this morning, Mrs. Crosby. And everyone's familiar with your husband's exploits, whether it be crossing the floor from the small but liberals onto a storied career as a PC cabinet minister. So, and we've long understood that the influence you had behind the scenes was extremely strong and important and welcomed by the entire family. And of course, John, where would you like to start this morning, Mrs. Crosby? Well, I want to say... You, you talked about John crossing the floor, and for years, people, supporters, said I crossed, came up to him and said, I crossed the floor with John. But let me tell you how, how that came out. John put in his resignations, Joey, and Joey must have told them that it takes it. He and Clyde, Clyde Wells, the chair across the floor. So, so Clyde went with John, as, oh, okay. But they, they, they didn't know. They were so innocent. They didn't actually cross the floor. Joey had them put across. And they didn't know enough not to sit in them. So that's where they, they cross the floor came from. And the little did he, John was talking about Dr. Jim Roberts, who was a great friend of ours. Later, uh, Joey used to say, Johnny has the wrong hands, and you can't let the party fall into the wrong hands. And Newfoundland was followed that. And the ditty that John made, uh, Jim made up is called. Johnny's hands are wrong indeed and all his organs too. But Frank is, is Frank is Frank Morris. Frank's Frank is Frank has his standing up right now. Johnny's hands are wrong indeed and all his organs too. Frank Morris has an organ that is standing up and true. Put them both together and they give old Joe the school. So Tories go marching in. And after meetings, we'd sing that and march around the room to, to relax. So that's not in the book, but it's my, in my memory, for sure. Mrs. Crosby, I mean, I would remember when your husband would say quite candidly that a lot of his political success he could attribute to you. Give us a look behind the, behind the curtains to what it was like in the home, you know, when the cameras weren't rolling and the microphones weren't there, whether it be the wife of a politician, whether it be about the excitement or the loneliness or the controversies that he would be involved in, and, of course, his dry wits and the way he spoke, he was larger than life. Give us a look behind the curtains what it was like as the supporter of, the wife of, someone well, like John. 
We had a good marriage to begin with, but I knew nothing about politics. As a married, married man, steeped in it, apparently, he, or his family, just his father, but ran in the Confederation issue, lost, uh, and Sir John, his grandfather was in, and Andrew Carnell was in it, of his mother's father. And I naturally supported my husband. It was a very hectic life. I'm only getting my rest now, and I'm in my 90s. I got there, I couldn't even sleep over it all. But so it life goes. And, and I still got the, these diaries I kept, or journals, people call them. Uh, I couldn't even read it myself at this point because I had a stroke a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm doing okay now, though. I'm really pleased to hear that. You know, much like John, you were certainly known not to hold back. So when there was discussions about John's fortunes, what would you like people to know about your motivation, your encouragement, or things that maybe people don't know about you and your relationship with John on the political front? Tell us a secret. Well, I don't know what to say. We had a good marriage. We lasted this weekend. Week, the 8th of September, if he was alive, we went married in 1952, I think it would be in our 71st anniversary. But that's three years ago he died. And, and uh, well, in the course of it, I, I followed his success and got involved. Uh, but he wasn't going to. He thought he was liberal forever, but he wasn't. He had a sex, successful career at the, at the Tories when he, as they say, crossed the floor. And uh, he, when he was dying, he said, to him, Don't worry about me. I had a good life. And uh, we, of course, had our battles. <laughs> But uh, we stayed together, uh, and I miss him very much, of course. As many people would. So the book is called The Horse Doctor's Daughter, The Early Diaries of Jane Crosby, and it's published by Flanker Press, and people will be able to get it wherever you get your favorite books. Would you like to tell us anything else this morning, Mrs. Crosby? Would I like to what? Would you like to say anything oh, else or tell us anything else this morning? No, 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 I... Uh, it's a diary, as reads, some days there's nothing to put in, uh, in it, and we'll call it, the, if anyone is interested, they, they have to go through it and find the things they want. But the liberal leadership, which Joey cheated the whole way, uh, is in a, uh, what I I found, and that is certainly interesting. 
it's part of the book that I look forward to reading uh, keenly. It's nice to have you on the program. I hope you're doing well, Mrs. Crosby. Good luck with the book. And I always used to appreciate running into you and John, and I'm glad to speak with you this morning. And I'd say glad to speak to you, too. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take good care. Goodbye for okay. now. Goodbye. There we go. That's Jane Ellen Audrey Ferno Crosby, uh, the horse's doctor. Pardon me, uh, David? Yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break for the news. When we come back, the province's consumer advocate, Dennis Brown, is in the queue, and then it's time for you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's begin this uh, segment on line number one. Say good morning to the province's consumer advocate. That's Dennis Brown. Good morning, Dennis. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Welcome back. Thank you. Before we get into the appointment of Kevin Fagan, who has a seven-year appointment as the chair of the Board of Commissioners at the PUB, let's talk about Liberty for a second, Liberty Consulting. So in the early days of Muscraft Falls, Manitoba Hydro International, an arm of Manitoba Hydro, was the consultant of choice. They proved to be largely ineffective. I think it's fair to say, and I'll get your opinion, that the exact opposite could be said of Liberty, who seemed to be extremely effective and investigative and revealing. Your thoughts? Uh Yes, uh, we have to look at where they came from, uh, Liberty. Uh, it all goes back to uh, 2014 and Dark NL. Most people will, rem- will remember that when the uh, electricity system failed to uh, every community on the island for the most part, with a couple of exceptions. So after 2014, after this happened, the blame game started. And uh, the government of the day, and indeed NELCOR, uh, blamed the board and said the board should have been monitoring uh, the infrastructure uh, in a more credible fashion. And uh, the board was saying, well, that was up to hydro. And, of course, uh, complicating the matters was uh, NELCOR was not um, subject to PUB regulation, even though NELCOR was uh, effectively the owner of Hydro. I guess we all own it, but uh, but you, you know what I'm saying. So um, uh, a lot of difficulty uh, resulted. Uh, the government of the day uh, really effectively collapsed. Uh, there was a uh, other premiers came in after 2014. And uh, the board went on to uh, retain uh, uh, ultimately Liberty. Liberty was out of uh, Pennsylvania, and they also had offices in Boston. And uh, they started monitoring uh, the work of uh, the utilities, what the utilities were doing, et cetera, both uh, with their focus on hydro, although they looked at uh, uh, some, uh, uh, they made some efforts in reference to Newfoundland Power as well. And they would report back to the board. So, once uh, the government changed, uh, the board uh, got more responsibility, and uh, uh, we had the Muskrat Falls inquiry, et cetera. And we found, of course, that uh, NELCOR had been neither transparent nor accountable. And we all know all the difficulties, and there's no need to go back into all of that. So um, the board uh, appointed uh, Liberty to, uh, to look at... Uh, uh, the Muskrat Falls project uh, and our low requirements and so on, and uh, they commenced issuing quarterly reports to to the board. Um, and up to last week, there were 19 quarterly reports they made to the board uh, concerning the integration of the power supply facilities to to the island to the integrated system. 
and um, they were effective uh, and they were good. Uh, they met with everyone. Uh, we met with them on several occasions, and uh, they were extremely good to deal with. Uh, so um, they uh, decided to move on of their own accord. Uh, the board didn't ask them to resign, nor did anyone else. But they've been around for quite some time, and uh, they probably came to the conclusion that uh, even though there's still a lot of difficulties with the project, etc., cetera, uh, it might be time for, uh, for fresh faces to come in and take a look at it. So that's where we are. And the, they're going to stick with the PUB until there can be a replacement unit or organization found because we all know that the light they shone on some of the issues that they brought to the public discourse were pretty important, to say the very least. So we'll, we'll follow along with that development. Yes, uh, they, they will stay during the transition period until the board can find uh, right. uh, new consultants, yes. Okay, let's move off to the appointment that we now understand is in place. Uh, Kevin Fagan, of course, he's got a well of experience in electricity matters and regulatory issues and stakeholder relations and the rest. The thought coming from some corners, including Ron Penny, who's part of the news story, is that his background presents a conflict of interest. He'll be in the thick of it, as it said. So he won't be, he'll have to recuse himself for any applications that were uh, prior to July, prior to his appointment, and for six months thereafter. You, I think based on the news story I read, and you can couch it as you see fit, you don't see the conflict as a big deal, but that relationship is well understood sort of well-documented, do you not foresee a conflict being a potential problem for Mr. Fagan and for the optics of the, uh, condu- the b- business uh, being conducted at the PUB? I've uh, worked with Mr. Fagan previously, and uh, we were on a panel together uh, on the Muskrat Falls inquiry uh, with uh, Justice LeBlanc. Uh, his knowledge uh, of the electricity system and his work in the electricity system um, is well known. Uh, prior to uh, Hydro, by the way, he effectively had worked for uh, Newfoundland Power. So he knows the utilities. He knows the way they work. From a consumer's perspective, uh, having someone at the board with his knowledge of the electricity system is gives the board uh, more objectivity. Right now, uh, we don't have an expert panel. Our board is made up of, uh, there are two lawyers there, there's someone who's with the insurance industry, and a few others. But what we don't have, and what we haven't had for a long period of time, is someone uh, with knowledge of the electricity industry and uh, complete knowledge of this province's electricity system. So that's what uh, Kevin Fagan brings, and it comes at a very critical time. Uh, we're going to uh, quite a number of, uh, of, of issues. In reference to the conflict, uh, there uh, When someone moves from one job to another, such as this, um, there are cooling off periods put in place. Uh, Kevin was appointed on uh, uh, July 7th, I think it was, and on July 21st, uh, the board issued uh, the uh, procedure that would be in place to deal with potential conflicts. So uh, this has been dealt with. And uh, this is a normal procedure when people move from one job to another. So basically, uh, uh, Mr. Fagan will not um, hear current applications before the board. And uh, uh, after six months is is up, and that would be December month, uh, he would uh, uh, hear applications. And uh, if there is 
a conflict, uh, he would be obligated to recuse himself, uh, just like a judge would. If a judge uh, had been uh, appointed and uh, his uh, own law firm came before uh, his bench, uh, most likely that judge would recuse themselves. So there are procedures in place. The procedure has been followed. He's a very good appointment. It will be good for the ratepayers and for the system generally and for the board because the board finally has a person with expertise in electricity matters on its panel. I appreciate the time as usual, Dennis. Thanks for this. All the best. Take care. Take care. Yes, uh, the consumer advocate, Dennis Brown. Final break of the morning. When we come back, we're going to get an update on the EI circumstance that's been talked about by the FFAW, and then lots of time for you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Say good morning to the president at the FFAW. That's Greg Purdy. Good morning, Greg. You're on the air. Morning, Penny. How are you? Very well. How about you? Well, you know, we've had better days here. Uh, our lines are red hot and the air is blue with uh, commentary on the federal government's uh, well, the decision, the EI system, um, you have, we now have a system which works against uh, unemployed people, if you can imagine that. It's antiquated. I've said it for years. We, we, they need to be dragged, kicking and screaming into the 21st century. So after a disastrous market crash on crab, we now have a situation where our members in particular, but all seasoned people, all seasonal workers across Canada will will be sh- you know, upwards of six weeks short and hundreds of dollars less per week because of a uh, slight uh, employment adjustment in, in the provinces. So it's terrible. Uh, it needs to be changed. I, you know, I'll go back to June when I was in Ottawa. I, I foresaw that, not, not that I'm a soothsayer or anything, but, but for God's sakes, it was it, it was right in front of us, and here it is. And uh, people had a rough struggle, as you know, uh, getting that crab packed up. We did a great job on that. Harvesters did a, a magnificent job. And now the federal government is about to penalize the entire works and make it a, one of the worst winters we'll ever have economically in this province. So... Go ahead. I was just going to say, for people who don't know, the EI rules were changed when a certain unemployment rate was achieved here in this province. You know, it's the good and the bad of a big number, like what is unemployment. Given the fact the disparity between unemployment on the Northeast Avalon versus the rest of the province, I don't know how you factor that in, but that's basically what we're talking about. You said that the federal commentary on this, so what's the most recent comments you've heard about the plea you've made to Ottawa for an extension or for an exemption, pardon me? Crickets. Nothing. 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 And uh, we've been trying because, you know, we saw the fastball coming. We, and we've been trying for weeks to set up some dialogue so that we could avoid this crisis of people. Uh, Patty, six weeks, you, you lose six weeks off your employment claim. So what does that mean? We just transfer from the federal roles onto the provincial welfare roles? Is that where we're headed in this province with the largest crab fishery on the planet being treated in, 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 in a manner, um, it's it's terrible. So so there hasn't been much uptake. I did uh, talk to the Provincial Minister of Labour on Friday, uh, and we've got a letter gone to the Premier, and I'm looking forward to the Premier's support on this. Uh, he's uh, been up front with uh, issues that he's had with the feds, and this is, uh, no, uh, this is even more critical right now because people will be hungry in this province because of a federal EEI system, which is antiquated and outdated. All we're asking for 
and I'm going to give them the opportunity to do it, is to, to go back, reconsider, have an emergency, an emergency um, change to maintain the divisor of 14 um, weeks and to ensure the basic uh, system is in place for workers who need it. And it's the same with harvesters. I'll tell you what they did with harvesters. They, they jacked up the because of the increase in the, uh, the <clears throat> decrease in employment, they increased the number of, we, of, uh, of money because harvesters uh, EI doesn't operate like laborers. So they increased the actual amount of money that's required. Crabs all packed and boxed. Can't do it twice. Uh, we have a cod fishery open today where some harvesters will have a sale, but a lot don't have a sale because the buyers are not buying cod or they're buying it one or two days a week. So there's no way for a harvester to make that money up. So that's, that's a system that's completely against uh, workers, and it has to change. So we're asking for an emergency. I'll give them the opportunity to do that, and let's get cracking at it and see if we can get that in place. If not, if not, you will see a very strong political action in this province in the days to come. What might that look like, Greg? Got a sneak peek for us? Sneak peek would be uh, massive demonstrations, yep. I appreciate the update. We'll see if we can get someone on the federal level to chime in. Whether or not it's the answer you want to hear, it's better than crickets. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Thanks, Patty. Bye. Appreciate the time. Take care, Greg. Bye-bye. Greg Pretty is the president of the FFAW. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Wayne. You're on the air. Good day, Patty. It's a strong shoulder day again. Thanks. Uh, quick comment on the fishery. It seems that uh, they need to rebrand this. It's prices all the time, isn't it? Permanent prices. It certainly seems to be. Yeah, anyway, that's not really my subject. Today, of course, as you know, is the anniversary of 9-11, the disaster in New York. And uh, the message from that went around the world pretty rapidly, and there was a fairly rapid response worldwide. But uh, what's happening now in Ukraine is 50 times larger than that. It isn't a single event. It's an ongoing event that is impacting a whole nation, a whole culture, and it continues unabated, and in all likelihood it will expand beyond the borders of Ukraine before this is all over. And uh, we, we seem to be tired of listening to the news about it, but I think it's a bigger uh, disaster looming in Europe, and uh, I don't think appeasement is going to work for Putin, for other similar-minded leaders in the past. So what are we going to do? You know, are we going to sit around and send them a few bullets every now and then and hope the rest of the Ukrainian people survive, or are we going to do something else? Whatever that else is, I have no idea what it is, but the current approach doesn't seem to be helping anybody. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, The conversation rarely includes how does this end. You know, it's all about whether it be NATO-related matters or what about China, all that kind of stuff. And that's all important, and it's a part of it. But at the leadership level, you don't hear a lot about what the off-ramp looks like. And I I have no idea. I have no earthly idea about how this ends. But the world wasn't really ready for a Putin-led Russian. I guarantee you we're not ready for a post-Putin and or a post-Ukrainian war uh, conversation because, as you, I think, rightfully point out, 
things are changing dramatically and it's going to be even more precarious in that part of the world, which extends to the rest of the world. It's a very small world these days. The interconnectivity and the relationships that are part of it, trade and otherwise, means that this is not just a Ukrainian-Russian issue. This is a global issue. And how it ends, Wayne, I have no idea. I don't know either, but uh, this is a John Kennedy moment now, not a, a Joe Biden moment or anybody else. Probably not. A Kennedy moment, and we don't have them, unfortunately. But... Uh, this is going to go on until Putin takes over the world, I believe, because... Well, that's not going to happen, thankfully. That's one thing that won't happen, unless he takes it over with a, a nuclear strike. And let's hope that that's just saber-rattling, because <laughs> I guess he's well, unpredictable. If he, if he goes every route, there'll be nothing left to take over. To anybody. Over. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. I think he's smart enough to understand that, but... The way we're going now is just uh, more appeasement, it seems to me, dropping a few little bombs here and there, and you know, inside the Russian border and whatever is, is inconsequential. And the uh, so-called restrictions that were put on the oligarchs and Putin himself in terms of their moving their money around the world, that is as a useless solution for anything as you could think of, and in all likelihood is not really operational anyway is only in theory so we're i think we're going to have to get some serious people to sit down and and come up with a plan to deal with putin and uh i guess his little buddy now from north korea who seems to be trying to crawl into the limelight himself so if we can let it go on and it we'll end up with a world at war eventually anyway so Yikes. I don't know what the solutions are either. I'm no warmonger or I know nothing of fighting wars, but there are people out there that are knowledgeable about this and experienced in it, and they're going to have to get their act together and uh, somehow deal with it. And as I said, send a pocket full of bullets every now and then to Ukrainian people is, is not going to do it. There's got to be something more serious than that, and the sooner we get to it, the better, I think. I appreciate the time, Wayne. You've had the last word. Thank you, Patty. I always appreciate Next week, I'll give you a buzz. I want to talk about some wildlife issues. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Okay, take care. Thanks, Wayne. Bye-bye. Yes, and here on 9-11, you know, there's an online betting app called DraftKings. They actually have a never-forget 9-11 parlay. Right? It's Here's what it says. It's never forget. Bet these New York teams to win tonight on 9-11. The Mets to beat Arizona, the Yankees to beat Boston, the Jets to beat Buffalo, and in the NFL. Imagine. Oh, my. All right. We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.